0: Well, should we start this sucker up? Yeah, we better. I'm not ready. If we only
1: have till midnight...
0: Welcome to Let the Music Be Your Master. My name is Jordan Harmon, and I'm with my colleagues, my compatriots to my left.
2: I'm Jason Johnson, Steve Ricks,
3: Brandon Arnold.
0: And we are excited to be gathered together in the Holy Garage, (laughs) a special place. Uh, it's It's been a while. It's been maybe a month since we did our metal episode. Has it been a month?
3: Gosh, yeah, I think it has. <coughs> and we're going to tackle... Jordan's been traveling the state. I've
0: been traveling the globe. Globe-trotting. <laughs> no, uh, we're, but we're going to tackle a very easy, kind of simple genre jazz. Not, you know, <laughs> not a lot to say there. No, we're, we're going to talk... We're going to do our first jazz episode. And I say first because I don't know about you guys, but one of the takeaways in preparing for this is just the impossibility of the task of, like, really... Doing a jazz episode that's like, okay, we're really going to cover jazz itself, which we are going to do.
2: Um, Well, and because Jordan's been angling from day one just to turn this into a jazz
1: centric podcast. Just
0: jazz only, (laughs) where we're all just going to wear berets and
1: like snap and (laughs) do stuff like that. Nothing says jazz to me like a beret. That's that's for sure. Ah, I hear you.
0: So, um, but let's get let's get going with this. We're going to start with our "Tell Me Something Good" segment, and you know it would be great if we had like that, just that part of the song right there. That "Tell Me Something Good," right? You know, but Brandon's looking at me <laughs> yeah. like, "Do you know how many hours I spent on these freaking episodes?"
1: <laughs> yeah, if you could just add that to the list, Brandon, yeah, that, just, would be, uh, that would for be your helpful. Notes, yeah, that would be helpful. Is it a song
3: by Rufus?
0: It's Rufus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Chaka Khan, I,
1: I think, yeah. Well, yeah. If you want to get to that part, it's it's the it's, chorus. But yeah. the the other parts were worth it. <laughs> You're going to listen to yeah. a minute and a half of it. <laughs> there we go. Oh, almost got it. Yeah, uh, it, was right got it was right it. after. It was right after.
3: Good enough. That's good enough. <laughs> um,
0: Jason Johnson. He's going to tell us something good from his life, from music in his life recently.
2: Okay. Um, all right. I'm, I'm ready. I'm trying to decide. I got two options here. It's a couple things I've been listed to. I'm going to share one. Yeah. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. This one is going to be hip-hop based. It's uh, somebody I just discovered. They've been around for a minute, and they've put out a lot of stuff. I hadn't really ever got into them, and it's just been the last month that I've been kind of digging deep. And it's an East Coast dude. Got a great vibe. His name is Conway the Machine. Oh, yeah. And uh I think he might have one of the uh one of the verses of the year. He he put out a couple albums this year. And on uh, one of them he uh he got Method Man from the Wu-Tang Clan to come and give him a verse. But um it's uh it's been a good it's I've enjoyed it. Um play a song called Lemon by Conway the Machine. I think that one is Reasonably swear free, so I think you'll be okay at least. Refused by Dillinger 30 seconds or so. It's got a very very Wu-Tang East Coast feel. Uh, uh,
4: Uh, uh, Look. Play my position in the kitchen, I'm working. Whip it, bag a half and 50s, hit the strip and I serve it. If it's an issue, trust, I'm coming to get with you in person. With the extender, throwing at you till I flip your suburban. All my business is flourished, I'm on my way to my yacht. I put a six on the dock like Julius Erving. Damn, I know my nigga's sisters is hurting. He caught new case, but got his sentences concurrent. That not get him discouraged. Got another homie in prison for murder. He would let his gun clap and fire at. Anyone that would try Watching this baby mother's cry I got numb, I can't lie His mama ain't shed a tear She know that come with his life Thought about it His kids was young when son got the time Won't see his daughter graduate Can't teach his son how to drive Not to see where I get this ambition from and his drive, the machine I'm iller than anyone that's alive Look, what the...
2: Pen. Pretty good. So the second verse on that is Method Man from wu tang Clan And he delivers like maybe one of his best verses he's pretty good he, he got the most individual notoriety out of the Wu-Tang Clan but um Conway the Machine uh I've been kind of on a deep dive for the last few weeks and I've enjoyed it uh real gritty east coast style if you're uh if you're familiar with kind of that east coast style of hip-hop and uh
3: is he, that the gritty kind it,
2: a lot of times, yeah. I mean, if you want to dig deep, Pretty go to like Mob, mob Deep, Wu Tang Clan. That's, that's like it, it kind of scare. It's a little bit scarier sometimes. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's you, anyway. We it's had good. a
0: discussion about the. I sent uh, back in January. I sent a clip of Griselda with Conway mm. West Side Gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Fallon and Brandon had a, f- a few. <laughs> He's like, this music is just sounds like uh, a loop. Like fruit, like something from uh, what was it? I can't remember what it was exactly. But we had this discussion about hip hop, but it was one of their songs, and I actually saw them in concert. Oh, nice! In Denver, in uh, was it right in March? Right, like the week before everything shut down. Like it was already oh, nice. a little bit. I went with. So I've got a cousin and a friend who are way into this group. As in, every time I'm with them, they're, this is what's playing in their car. <laughs> right? ch- was it yeah. a good show? It was interesting. It was. Uh, it, it was It was a good show. They were really good. They've got a really rabid fan base. I would say it was 99 percent male, and they were all doing they do those like gun sounds during it do, do, yeah. do, do, so and, like, I was going to say the person that. that
2: recommended it to me is I, I have a few people in my life that I, I typically trust if they say something's good mm-hmm. it doesn't guarantee I'll like it, but I usually can at least see like. Why people would love it And and this person in particular is, is similarly rabid He's like, this is my favorite group right now So I've been doing a deep dive I wouldn't describe myself as rabid I don't really get rabid about music in general yeah. But um, he's they, they have some diehard fans And I've liked what I've listened to so far I think it's an interesting exploration
0: Yeah, and they're east coast But they're from Buffalo Which is kind of a region, upstate New York That hasn't yeah. been as uh, explored all right. Well, thank you for telling us something good, Jason. By the way, the title of this episode, I Pledge Allegiance to the Jazz. So we're, we're, going, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're going all in on jazz.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: And we're going to move on to um, do our, what we've done in the past. I'm going to pay homage to our, our roots of the last few months, at least. Um, three words that best encapsulate jazz. So we're each going to take turns. And if, we, if, we, you, know, if you duplicate a word, then you duplicate a word. But we're going we're gonna to get into the music pretty quick At here. what
3: point did you want to play this uh, compilation clip?
0: Let's do, let's do our three words, and then let's play our compilation.
3: And we'll see how well those three words yeah, fit. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: So, uh,
1: let's go. Who wants to go first? Steve. Steve, let's hear you. <laughs> oh, no. Three words. I was scared that you would call me, but that's all right. Um, three words that encapsulate or describe jazz. Improvisation. Bingo. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I stole that one for everyone. Uh... (laughs) Bebop. Big band. (laughs) All right, that was really good, Steve. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, yeah. All right, right we, we'll, we'll kind we'll of the <laughs> kind of the the big the the large view, the the zoomed out view. Those are the right. three. I guess those those three words or areas or whatever are sort of all relate to my experience. But you guys will fill it out now with some better words. Go, I go. Like it,
0: Brandon. You up?
3: Uh, I agree with Steve's improvisation. I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I'll, I would also say soloists and musicians' music. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> All <laughs> together. I think he did four that's words. Interesting because
0: <laughs> One of mine was improvisation, which both of you said. One of mine was musicians, similarly in that. Right. Musicians. We'll talk about it later. Um, my third one, though, is tensions. And I think all good music has tensions and stuff, but jazz specifically, and we'll talk more about that later too. But tensions was my third.
2: Uh, I actually had I had improvisational, Mm -hmm. but we'll we'll count that must be a big part of
3: jazz. (laughs) I guess apparently, Apparently.
2: Uh, and then I had um, I wrote instrumental, even though it's not always the case, but it seems to be more often than not Mm -hmm. instrumental than. uh, then vocally driven, and then I wrote um, two words, kind of the same thing: craftsmanship or technique. Take your pick. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a certain level of I think like high level craftsmanship to it. Um, these are these are typically musicians that would be described as um, really good at their craft.
0: You can't like learn a few power chords and then like become yeah. a jazz star. Yeah. Cool. All right. So there's our, there's our words. Now we're going to go ahead and listen
2: to, um, or should we? Should we're going to we listen to every jazz song ever recorded right we'll now.
0: Listen, we'll listen to the montage. And, and then after the montage, Steve is going to give us a little bit more about his take on, on jazz, just a, a minute or two. A kind of a definition. Do you have this episode on three by five cards? Uh, yeah, that we're. I like zooming it. Zooming right through. No, I've got. I've got. <laughs> two, I've great. got forty cards here. Two, of them, <laughs> two I of them have notes that I scribbled on while I was eating my pizza. I love this. I <laughs> usually just write my notes on my
2: hand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is an audio compilation prepared for your listening pleasure. This is going to take us from the twenties up until nineteen seventy-two, or actually nineteen ninety. The year the music song. died.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
4: Next summer, we're going to swing for you. He's one of the good old favorites.
0: Okay, that's four and a awesome. half minutes.
3: Just so uh, you
2: know, I have a, li- a an original pressing of that live Jimmy Smith one. album. You forgot one, George. Here we go. Brandon's bringing it home.
0: Oh yeah, and the true president of jazz, Mr. Kenny G. Oh man, that's oh, wow. like that's like eating a really good meal, and then saying, "Let's let's just." Top that off with some, like, crap on a
2: plate. <laughs> Come on. That's maybe unfair to Kenny G. Twinkies but with Tabasco. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe it's know. more like I don't that. Know. So, And apologies to our Kenny G fans out there that Jordan just alienated. Uh, yeah,
0: that's true. I do have a Kenny G story. Did I share it with you
3: guys? <laughs> I have not heard. Oh, my I gosh. Mean, well, first of all, who doesn't have a Kenny G story? But sure, let's I'll, hear yours. Uh,
0: do you want me to share? I guess now's yeah. the time. Okay, I'm play- I've am i been playing saxophone for a few years. I'm 12 or 13 years old. We just moved to Utah. My sisters and my mom listen to Michael Bolton and Kenny G. Probably my sisters more, and he's coming to Salt Lake. Not Michael Bolton, just Kenny G. So they get tickets, and they get me one because I play the saxophone. And I'm excited because I've never been to a concert before, but I'm also starting to get to the age where I kind of know Kenny G is lame. So I'm excited, but I'm also like... Anyway, I go, and... Towards the end of the concert This is not Salt Lake I can't remember what the hall is um, He's like going into the crowd Like disappearing He's got his mic on the On the soprano sax Like a wireless mic You see him up in the balcony And the spotlight why, goes Why did
3: you have to specify A soprano sax <laughs>
0: Well, it's just part of it. But the point here is soprano sax is, is, can That's, be cool, yep. yes. can yep. it can also not is. be cool.
2: <laughs> it's also kind of lame. Yeah. He's separating himself from the soprano sax player. Yeah, yeah. But no,
0: you guys will not believe what happened. It's seriously out of a movie where he's up in the stands, people are like, where is he, where is he? And then people are applauding when they see him in the spotlights. <laughs> and he's like playing, looking at the eyes of some woman that he's playing to. Ooh, wow. All of a sudden, he's gone for a couple minutes. Everyone's looking around. Then I see all the eyes turning towards me, and I look up, and he's walking down, and he stands right above me and is looking into my eyes, playing the sax saxes. Everyone's cheering, and I'm uh-huh. sitting there looking up, thinking, like... I, I don't know what I was thinking, but it was very embarrassing and very I don't surreal know if I like this and message. strange. Yeah, it was very strange. Uh, it was like wow. I wish Personally I could brag about this. By, yeah, by I Kenny wish G. I could brag about this, but I can't. Of course, it's, you can. Yeah, uh, it was just it's, anyway. like, it's like
3: a step down from the accordion guy at the Italian restaurant. I think I was one your of your the table. only
0: like men there in the concert, right? Like, at, especially at my age. But so. I think yeah, eventually
3: man. we are going to have to address the, the Kenny G issue but we'll we'll save that for maybe part 2. But There's
0: so much good stuff to talk about. Yeah. I mean, <laughs>
3: yeah. let's, well, let's well, not I don't get, think there's an
1: issue, but what's the issue?
0: Well, smooth jazz, right? Smooth jazz. Let's move on. Right? Yeah. let's move on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. let's, we, let's talk about see we got to we got to start from a place of love. We got to yeah. talk about what we love about jazz before we <laughs> Brand wants to come in here and just like just trash on whatever genre it is. Like he came in with metal. Like okay, let's talk about my, new my wave own, is corny. My own pick Metal, metal is sucks. stupid. Jazz. Let's talk about Kenny G. Come on.
1: All right. He's like that little bumper sticker on the back of big trucks. You know, Calvin just peeing on yeah yeah
3: something. Or I'm, like, the, like, I'm the bumper sticker that's. It would be if Calvin was peeing on the brand of truck that it is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Kenny G is a, is exactly. a good player a Calvin was peeing on a Calvin. It's sticker. another thing where if you were born Ooh, in the late meta. 70s, I think
0: Kenny G was synonymous with lame. But we'll move on from that. Let's talk about <laughs> so, jazz music, and Steve is gonna give us a little rundown of your kind of definition of jazz. One man's definition of jazz. <laughs> Not just one man, the man. <laughs>
1: I'm going to go to two external sources. So first, I'm just going to read a brief entry in the Rolling Stone Encyclopedia of Rock and Roll Look at on this jazz. Dude, bringing Excellent. books Excellent. to the Excellent. podcast recording. I feel like, you know, the, we are talking about jazz, but I feel like, you know, the, the lens or the, the focus of this podcast is more rock, pop music mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's, at least that's mostly what's been covered in the decades you guys have done and in the genres we've done so far. So I thought, well, that's not much of a stretch to see. Let's see what the, you know, the the rock aficionados say about jazz. I think it's a decent general description and introduction and we can use it as a springboard to see what we think jazz is music that depends primarily on improvisation and reflects a long tradition of changing ideas of structure freedom and swing the first music known as jazz was the new orleans style later called dixieland in which a small group would improvise collectively on a well-known tune no one in particular carried melody or harmony but everyone was aware of them In the 20s, Louis Armstrong, Louis Armstrong, and others began to separate soloists from accompaniment. Each permitted different degrees of freedom, an idea that ruled jazz for the next few decades through the harmonic and rhythmic revolutions of the big bands of the 30s swing era Duke Ellington, Count Basie, Fletcher Henderson, Benny Goodman. Bebop in the late 40s, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Cool and hard bop and modal playing in the 50s, Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk, in the 60s, John Coltrane began to work on a fusion of Eastern and Western improvisation while Ornette Coleman, Cecil Taylor, and others reconsidered collective improvisation in the light of new ideas about rhythm and harmonic freedom. Rockers toyed with jazz in the late 60s, and Miles Davis tried a version of jazz rock that spawned various 70s bands. Pure jazz, meanwhile, grew ever more eclectic in terms of structure and style, with bands like the Art Ensemble of Chicago and Air drawing on music from ragtime to Indian raga. Jazz is a continuum, more respectful of tradition than rock, and in places like New York or Paris, it is possible to hear musicians from every jazz era still working.
0: Love it. I like that. I'm mm-hmm. i glad you read that, because I've been, you know, the history of jazz is, I think, a big part of talking about jazz. It's such a, um, it's a genre or, you know, Jason, or maybe a group of genres, that is um, so embedded with what's going on around. And in a, in a way, you could say maybe jazz is dead in, in the sense that you can talk about it in a very concrete way. Like jazz isn't in the zeitgeist like as, as popular music anymore, hasn't been for for many years. Uh, it still is influencing music a ton. And there's still great, great jazz musicians putting out great albums, but there's a very kind of uh, time-based thing where you can look at where jazz grew out of ragtime and out of, the blues and the the Dixieland thing starts and then you can get up to where fusion kind of, you know, after that and free jazz, it, it became, it just hasn't really been popular, but it's so you can study it and talk about it in a historical way. That's, that's interesting. Um, any thoughts from Jason, Brandon about what, uh, either what Steve read or what we listened to as you were listening, what were you noticing? Or as you listened to Steve reading about kind of the history, any thoughts you want to add in?
2: I I think it it gets kind of attached at a certain level to like American history as well. Like uh, I think that's something that I think some musicians are particularly proud of. That's like one of
1: America's great exports to the world. um, Contributions to music, America's classical music, America's inventions, stuff like that. And when you you look at
2: the like who contributed what, that's jazz is I think pretty universally accepted as an american creation. Yeah.
0: It's int- when I, I was thinking about the correlate with american history and jazz kind of coming up in the especially in the 20s, right, you know, and it was happening before then, but around World War 1 to Vietnam War and all the stuff that happens in between there, you know, jazz is kind of and and other kinds of music, but but jazz especially in the 20s, 30s and 40s were were the popular music that was you know, what kids were going to dance to when they wanted to go dance. They were, they were dancing to jazz music. And then that starts to change. You know, our first, our first episode of Decades was the fifties. And that's like really the birth of rock and roll. And uh, the fifties has great jazz. It's my favorite jazz decade for sure. Fifties, but it's already to the point where jazz kind of had to make a comeback with, you know, Dave Brubeck and such to, to be like popular again. And there was other musicians who were popular, but it wasn't, it was already, like, not the popular, the main popular thing is rock and roll was coming up. Um, and then from there, you get in the 60s, and we did our America versus the the World episode, and I think you did Duke Ellington. Mm-hmm. And for that episode, where I was studying Duke Ellington, it, you know, we talked about how in the 60s, he was playing in high school gymnasiums. So, like, jazz, especially big band jazz, had really, you know, just... No one was really paying to go listen to it I think
2: it was no longer attached to youth culture At that point right. Like I think a lot of what drives music in particular Is, is youth, youth culture,
0: culture. So you have, you've always had musicians oh, oh, loving oh. it and listening to it But yeah, Steve
1: Mr. Cotter, Mr. Cotter no. um, It's one of the sweat hogs <laughs> <laughs> uh, th- this, this kind of links to what you're saying And I gotta give a shout out to my You know, my, te- my former teacher friend Mike Hicks for Happy me to this, but uh, you guys will, will probably recall these lyrics from Chuck Berry's Rock and Roll Music. Verse 1, I have no kick against modern jazz unless they try to play it too darn fast and change the beauty of the melody until they sound just like a symphony. And so this is in the 50s, mm-hmm. r- right, I think? Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, uh, it's, it's such a, a very insightful, succinct Uh, Take on, I think, bebop, Mm -hmm. modern jazz, and kind of this transformation you're talking about. You know, that that it shifts from being the popular dance music to this more esoteric art music. And it has to do maybe with the tempo. It has to do with the fact that these bebop uh, musicians are taking these uh, traditional chord changes and then changing the melody into these crazy bebop, mel- you cool. know, melodies that no one can sing to really, or or yeah. they can't follow it. And that's kind of where I think that you know you see the the memes and the video clips and whatever that float around that 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 bag on jazz or that say, oh my gosh, how how long is this solo going to be or whatever, <laughs> whatever. That's where it starts yeah. is with bebop. But that's also where those of us that just love jazz that's often kind of the sweet spot. You know, the those small groups the innovation of these these amazing virtuosic musicians Mm -hmm.
0: but anyway yeah that that's a good point brandon you got something
3: um i like how uh wynton marsalis put it in in one of his interviews he defines jazz as a conversation Mm -hmm. between musicians and also sometimes the audience Uh, and the the quote that steve read hinted at this with, with that description of You know, even in the early days of that with the Dixieland stuff, the it's about improvising, but it's it's this musical conversation, and that that's what's really been exciting about it to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Once I started getting into jazz, I yeah, the the live when you have a a great jazz band that you're listening to live, it is the most exciting kind of concert for me Mm. because you don't know what's coming. And it's just so fun to see them up on stage interacting with each other. So it's fun to see the, the looks on their faces as they're appreciating what the mm-hmm. other person's doing. They don't know what's coming.
2: Right. That You, you saying that, mind, the most spiritual concert experience I've ever had was at a jazz club in new orleans mm-hmm. uh i think i told you jordan about yeah, this it was yeah. a, the stanton moore trio right. he's a jazz drummer well he does everything but he um galactic he, right yeah so he's funk he, and jazz yeah, and- but he has this jazz trio and he lives in new orleans and they play this place called the the snug harbor jazz bistro and he plays it like every thursday i think or every tuesday just to keep his chops up and it's this little venue it holds like 40 people and we were, i was at a show there and there were maybe twenty people in the audience for this guy who is very very well respected like very good musician people know who he is he 's playing in a small club for twenty people, and they started doing this thing in their trio it 's a piano uh, um, uh, he 's on the drums and then there 's a bass player, and they were just they were taking like seventies funk riffs and building them into their this little jazz routine that they had going. And none of them knew what the other one was going to do next. And one of them would pick one and you'd see the other two just smile and then respond with like another one. And they were like really entertaining each other. And there were like three of us in the audience that I think kind of figured it out. And there was this guy, like 60 year old guy from Denver next to me. And when it got done, he stood up and he had tears in his eyes. And I stood up, this 20 person giving a, a standing ovation and Stanton Moore came out and like talked to us all. But it was it was was this incredible moment and when i walked away i remember like trying to figure out what was so transcendent about it and it's just what you said brandon it was this really intimate conversation that we all participated in audience and band member Mm. where no words were actually said the way that all the communication took place was with music and it was very conversational like the energy was transferring mm-hmm. all the way around but it was all done through through music and the exchange and it was just this incredibly intimate experience like yeah. uh, unlike anything i've had at a show before yeah. as
0: you're describing that the, the words musical intimacy came to mind you know which which i think live jazz can have that at its at its best for sure and and even listening to you can hear it listening to it. it's not the same if you're not there live but we're going to get into the structure of this episode and we'll see if our episode is more like a nice, flowing, you know, Miles Davis quintet jazz conversation, or if it's more like my eighth grade jazz band <laughs> at Dixon Middle School led by Dennis Pratt. Where probably out of tune, probably not with the beat so much, but we were having fun. It might be more like that, but I hope, I hope it's somewhere in the middle instead of towards the junior high jazz band. Our structure today is going to be similar to our other Hall of Fame episodes and, and So we are creating a different. Hall of Fame. We're creating we... a Hall of Fame. We each have three picks. And the picks that we're gonna pick will be a song, but the instead of this just like the song will be in the Hall of Fame, but so is the kind of the mu- the main musician. So if you pick like say a song from a Miles Davis album, um and it's his album. Then that song is in the Hall of Fame, and so is Miles Davis. And so no one else can pick Miles Davis. He's but if already John in.
2: Coltrane was on that song, it doesn't. It doesn't count. He's still technically in the Hall of Fame with that
0: song, but someone else can pick him for something else. So, so everyone's going to get three picks. We're going to go. In, we're going to do a draft. If you've got your, do you have your random draft selector. I think so. Let me check. The other thing <laughs> I threw out in the email, which. Sounds like some of you guys didn't study carefully. But we'll see. <laughs> you know, we, rules are made to be broken. But what I had thrown out there was that our first six picks have to be from different decades between the 20s and the 70s. So that before we, we duplicate a decade, um, we, we have to represent. Sorry, all those, I was looking for the spinner Say it again. Does that make sense? No. Okay. So if, I don't know if you want to edit this down, or, but our first six picks have to be from. Those six decades, 20s, a, diff- a different to decade. Yes. You so can't, you can't so do If two... you
2: pick 40s, I can't pick a
1: 40s. Right.
0: Right. Until 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s have been picked.
1: Do we have to go in order? No.
3: How confusing. <laughs> no. It is perfectly what re- representing kind of Hall of jazz. Fame is You're this? like, <laughs> oh, this is way too confusing. Let's switch it to uh,
0: <laughs> that. So that was, change the station. The the initial the What's initial Joe thing was talking like about right here's now. six subgenres, and Cue you got to pick from. You can't do more than three from these subgenres, <laughs> but it's it's complicated. But here's the thing: we'll see what happens. The other thing was we were, I was going to introduce a new element into our quartet here of the challenge, so that if uh, if you did, if I say I picked a '40s first, and then you picked a '40s. We would see what happened. Like, do we challenge you? If we challenge you, we take a vote. Of do we want to allow it or not? And the host of, the, of this episode gets two or 1.1 votes. the
3: heck out of here. Right. Let's get to the music, Jordan.
0: Yeah. So that's the, that's the structure. If you guys had read the email, you wouldn't be asking all these questions now.
3: I did read the email, but the questions are still valid.
0: The questions (laughs) are valid. I read it once. (laughs) There you go. So, but like I said, you know, we'll see what happens with it. All right, you want me to spin the wheel? Let's spin the wheel. Let's see who's
2: first. Okay, and the first pick goes to ah, this guy. Okay. Bingo Bongo. So, do we want to go just in (laughs)
0: clockwise then from there? No. Okay. What's the point of the wheel? Yeah. It's, well, that's true.
2: Second pick goes to... Jordan. Okay, so counter. Third pick goes to... This is intense. It, it
3: better be one of us. I'm,
2: see,
0: I'm, I'm having the Steve New Wave thing where I'm like, I want to go last because I want you guys to pick stuff. It's brand I third. To, I want to okay. manage... Okay, it's like it, I don't, so it's, this way, it, it's, yeah, counter, it's okay, right. Sounds good. The other, the other aspect I would like to hear from you guys is before your first pick, I'd like to hear just a brief your intro into jazz. Whatever you want to share, like oh, I got this record, or I went to this show, or I did this thing. Um, you know, brief, thirty seconds or less, your kind of intro to jazz, and then you can introduce your your song and your selection. We can listen to it, have a brief chat about it, and move on from there. All right, Jason, you're up first. So you want my intro to jazz? Yeah. What
2: what got you? Um, so when your I was a kid, I, I, I've talked about it. I got into music early, and I had like a best friend uh, listener of the pod, M- Mike Benson, one of my favorite humans alive. He and I were both middle kids in big families. Both our moms taught piano. He lived right across the street from me, and we both got into music at about the same time, and. Um, What's the line, the lyric from the the Pink Floyd song, Two Lost Souls Swimming in a Fishbowl? We were probably similar, like lost middle kids, and we just wanted music. There was about a mile and a half bike ride away, gray whale or Pegasus music at the time. We would ride our bikes down and buy albums we had both that paper out so we spent all our paper out money on music and the way i would pick albums is i would walk in and i would look for an album cover that looked really cool or an album title and and by the time i got into seventh grade i was starting to get like a little bit rebellious so i was grabbing stuff that had parental advisory stuff that scared me a little bit that i would have to hide in the back of my sock drawer so my dad (laughs) wouldn't find it and i went in to pegasus music and i found this incredible album cover for an album called Bitches Brew. And I was so intrigued. <laughs> you bought it because, because it had the word bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that was how you got into jazz. That That's was awesome. That's that was amazing. my entry into jazz. And I got home and I played this album and I was expecting like a metal album or something. And I was like, this is not what I expected and I kinda of shoved it away and then I was reading in I got um I would drive I would buy a guitar magazine, Guitar Player magazine down at seven eleven, and I read an article and they were talking about like Miles Davis and Johnny McLaughlin. And they referenced, um, I think uh, Miles runs the Voodoo down in Bitches Brew and I was like I remember listening to it again. I went back and listened to it again, and it kind of blew my mind. I was like, this is really good. And I remember running across the street to Benson, saying, you got to check this out. And like that was our entrance into jazz music. And from there, it, it, nice. it just kind of became a part of how we <laughs> engaged with it. Nice, but yeah, nice. that was what an album to start with, huh? Yeah, that's great. so, all right, wow. so now, What's go What's your pick? So now I'm just supposed to pick a song. Yeah. But whatever one I pick wipes that decade yeah. off until yeah. we fill out the decades. Right, right, right. This is a lot of pressure. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to stay away from the 20s and 30s. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm, just, I'm just not as comfortable well, it's with gonna, it.
1: When it gets around to me, I'm def- I'm going to be stuck I'm with the 20s and 30s. I'm going to go hard for the 50s, tell. I think.
2: Uh, mm. Let's go with... Um. Sorry, 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 sorry. Now, is there a timer on me? Okay, I'm going to go... Be. Yeah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go in the 50s. Oh, I'm going to throw people. I'm going to see if, if I can upset some people because I'm not going to take the most obvious. It's a great 50s song. You'll probably all like it, but uh, it's, it's maybe not the most obvious from the 50s, but I, it's maybe one of my all-time favorite. This is a goosebump song for me. This is one of the few songs that I can put on for my jazz list that my kids don't get mad if they're in the car and say, change the song. Um, I'm going to go Moanin' by R. Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Um, I don't know what to say Art Blakey was a drummer uh, The Jazz Messengers were kind of this rotating jazz crew And I think this would this album Monin would be considered Probably kind of their masterpiece But this song is just freaking incredible to me It's full, like About a minute to get into it And then once it hits It's full goosebumps Like the hair on my arm stands up Great pick, let's hear it That's my pick. It's a great pick.
3: Love it. Yeah. What? Uh, tell us about Art Blakey.
2: I don't. I Jordan or Steve's probably better versed on him than I am. I know he's a, a jazz drummer, he's a drummer, and he played with the Jazz Messengers for how long? It was. I think it was his group. Did he right, start it?
0: And he. There was the rotating. Like I did. I watched. Uh, I was watching something with him this week where he was talking about how he loved. Um, you know, basically, he wanted to play with young guys because he wanted that kind of. Where is where I was are things say, going? Th- it
2: felt like it was typically almost like a launching point for yes. young guys to come in, and then they would go off of on of kind of a solo career. Yeah. And he had this this rotating um, crew. Um, some yeah. of the later jazz messenger albums I don't love as much but like Monin is great there's there's about a three album run right around there that's yeah. just I think it's their that's their kind
0: of peak yeah and it was also I think it's 58 is that album 50 yeah Does that 57 sound right? released
3: recorded 58 released 59 yeah so
0: and Ooh, and those years like like 59 is probably to me the best year like that's the in terms of jazz like
2: yeah i noticed that when i was putting the list together there's
0: actually there was a a little youtube documentary that was like 1959 the year that changed jazz and um but there's great albums but uh this form of music you can hear it it was actually in the montage that we played earlier it's very it's coming on the heels of bebop which was far less accessible you know this this kind of music sometimes people called it hard bop it's kind of a soul type of it, but it came after bebop, and it was like the reason I said tension in my word was you know you have the the tensions between collectivism and individualism, but another tension in jazz is kind of ex- accessibility or accessibility and challenging, and this is it went really far into the challenging like we're gonna do stuff that like is more kind of intellectual or just technical, and it's it was cool at the time, but after a while people just trying to play fast unless melodic, uh, you know, less lyrical, it was natural that the pendulum swings back to, let's get more blues, gospel, something that you can really feel, like, in your soul. Let's get that. And that the tempo slows down, and you get these melodies that are a little more, kind of like, you're kind of grooving to it more. And that's where Hard Bop and and that stuff came in. and, And this album was a huge kind of piece of that. Anything, Art Blakey, or anything about this music, or this time period? Okay, we've got... I mean there's so much we could do from 50 I think we could do a whole episode on just 50, right. well, 50s my, jazz. Yeah, I'll right 50s now. 50s first. <laughs> yeah. Boom Soccer. I, I might
1: get it for my last pick, but yeah, my my like number one uh, Desert Island favorite album of the all time is from fifty nine. <laughs> yeah. So I won't. I won't say it right yet. Right now, but yeah. uh, we'll see if I it makes, makes it. I think Kenny G was in.
2: recording in the fifties, but whatever. You know, dude. not yeah. a lot of people know
1: that. But <laughs> yeah, he, he started early.
0: <laughs> now, cool. All right, so we'll move on to the next. And I'm trying to figure out if I want to. You know, I could leave. I think we're all probably maybe not. But I'm, I'm with Steve. Like, uh, do I want to go with twenties and thirties, or do I want to leave that for someone else? Um, so I, I'm just going to go with. Um, someone that I really want to be in the Hall of Fame, so I want to make sure he gets in there. Um, I'm going to go with Charles Mingus um, from the album Mingus Ah-Um. Oh, wait, no, I can't do this. This is 59. Oh. <laughs> I can't do it. Oh. Oh. what was I thinking? Oh. Okay. So, right. Wait, wait, wait. Could but out find of 60s curiosity. Mingus, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <You're...
2: laughs> is there a limit on the number of songs an artist can have in here? Did you make
3: that?
0: Yeah, one.
2: Because they're already in.
3: So one per artist. Yeah. yeah. One per artist. No matter what.
0: And the other thing we said is we can't do a song that we've already featured on the podcast at all. Like In other words, that song is already in. That song and even I think we said album. I think that was your recommendation, Brandon. That album is already in or was it just the song? Like Kind of Blue is already in. Yeah. For Miles Davis.
2: Yeah. So nothing from Kind of Blue can be in. Right. But
0: you can do other Miles
2: stuff. Okay. All right, let me, let me let me switch this up.
1: Okay. This is starting to Uh-oh, feel I'm like Settlers of Catan. <laughs> so,
2: I'm so excited. Okay. I'm
0: so am glad I going to buy wheat, week? or
1: am I going to,
2: I
0: don't <laughs> okay, know. I don't, don't gonna know gonna what go to go do. 20s. I'm going to go 20s. I'm going to take um, East St. Louis Toodaloo, and this is 1927, Duke Ellington, his Kentucky, uh, what's it called, his Kentucky... Club Orchestra, Jordan, you bastard!
1: <laughs> yes. So this isn't Steely Dan, huh? That's weird? Weird? No. Duke Ellington
0: is one of the greats, of course. Brandon, you know, did some some work with Duke on our for further podcast. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! <laughs> this isn't it. This is the Steely Dan version. No, 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 no! Get rid of this. I love Steely
2: Dan, this this version of
3: it. I yeah,
2: I'm so no. happy right now.
3: No, no, it's the first one that came up. Come on, Brandon. Come, on, Brandon. <laughs> Jordan.
1: You just got Marky Marked. I you know, know. Marky Marked for sure. <laughs> he's
0: Marky Marking all over this. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, we led us into the Kenny G discussion. Jordan, you're race, the one really. that celebrated okay.
2: the troll. So yeah, that's true. This is uh, he's, he's this is true. exactly what I think you wanted. St. Louis, yeah.
3: Tootaloo by Duke, Duke Ellington. Ellington. Anything you want to say before I play? It? Uh
0: No. Let's just let's just listen to the colors, listen to the the shapes. So that you can leave it playing and we can talk over it in a minute. This this sounds this sounds slowed slowed down.
1: I wonder, Brandon. It, yeah, I mean, if you want, when you're searching, if you search like original original, because I'm not sure well, there's this not is gonna the be an original, original from the 20s. though. There there well, there?
0: uh-huh. there's really? a 1927 recording. Wow. Yeah, there's a record. Crackly. That, that almost sounds like someone took it and and like half sped it like times. Yeah, point I think it's usually a little a
1: little. A little quicker. Well, this, it doesn't sound slowed down to me. It just sounds like a, a slower version, you know? Like yeah. A, a, but I liked it. It was interesting. Here we go. Here we go. This kind of yeah. makes me think of like
3: black and white animation yeah. or something. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, early Mickey Mouse.
0: So the trumpet player named Bubber Bubber or something like that. I forget his name. He created this sound with Duke Ellington called the jungle sound. And he was he was the first to use this plunger style with the trumpet. But you can hear how there's this innovation of using the instrument to try to get a different almost like a talking Uh, kind of more of a human voice sound out of it Um, but jazz had already been becoming more more popular this is the roaring 20s right and um, Duke Ellington's career spanned so much of jazz such a backbone in the in the music
2: So that's uh, yeah. You didn't you didn't tell how you got into jazz if you want to stick with that whole thing. What's that? You didn't tell how your introduction to jazz. Oh yeah, I didn't. I
3: think we started the episode with that.
5: Oh, Oh,
2: that's true. Concert. Okay, go ahead, Brandon. No, that was not
3: it.
0: That was not it. So
3: I got into no no
0: no no. no. (laughs) (laughs) That was not it. But I'll be brief and I'll say, (laughs) seventh grade, back to Dennis Pratt. You know, those of you who have played in bands in terms of junior high, high school band, whatever, or played an instrument, taking private lessons. You know that your parents, you know, want you to practice maybe more than you want to practice at times. Um, so I liked playing the saxophone, but I didn't love it, and I would practice, but I liked playing. But then I learned something called the blues scale: right, one flat, three, four, flat five. You know, um, this this way of playing instead of just the normal major scale. And all of a sudden, I loved practicing the saxophone. And I would play the Concert F blues scale up and down in seventh grade in my room. And I didn't have a hard time practicing all of a sudden because I loved it. And what it did is all of a sudden, I could improvise, in a sense, to, to blues music, uh, to a 12-bar blues. And, so, and I took that into jazz band. And because I had this scale under my fingers... I didn't have to think about it so much. And, you, and there was a freedom of just like, I'm making up songs that sound good just with this instrument in my room. And I don't even have to, you know, I want to play with other people, but I, even if I'm playing by myself, it sounds good and sounds fun. So that was one of the key moments for me was learning the blues scale on the saxophone. All right. Brandon's up. I like
2: Brandon's story better. I'm up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my first... Well, it was a very intense experience. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was uh a sexual experience learning the blues scale, learning the blues scale, but it was a, uh, you know, it was exciting in its own way.
1: Let's say formative.
0: It's formative. I guess you could take the metaphor, and say it was reproductive in
1: a way. I don't know. Oh my goodness. Generative. Uh, parents
3: Okay. Uh my, uh, let's see how, we, we grew up in, in the 80s, young, youngsters in the 80s, and therefore we were immersed in the ubiquity of the saxophone solo. Not, not as it relates to jazz, but in pop music, it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking specifically of Careless Whisper by Wham. <laughs> um, but it was, it was all Great over the New place. New wave
2: group, by the way.
3: Yeah. Uh, it was all over the place. Like, you you can't find a band in, if they released an album in 87, it had a sax solo in there. So by the time I'm in seventh grade and have the opportunity to, to join the school band, I wanted to play saxophone. Um, hadn't ever knowingly listened to jazz yet. And I don't know that we played jazz in that band. I think it was more of the, the, uh, symphonic stuff, yeah, symphonic one. stuff. Mm-hmm. Why there's a saxophone in that? I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But that was the the instrument I was most enamored with. Gave it up after one year because I hated having to carry it home when I walked mm-hmm. home from school. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was that was it as far as that instrumentation goes. Then by by the time I'm in high school, uh, favorite thing to do on any weekend, in particular, but heck, weekday if if it's happening, go for it. Is go to whatever local show there is and my favorite was Iceburn, this band from salt lake uh they're more of a metal prog kind of thing but with a lot of jazz elements to it that i didn't know at the time um and they'd play in provo a lot play in salt lake a lot so we'd we went to a lot of their shows and we find out that they are playing this uh this one weekend at mama's cafe which is traditionally more of an acoustic venue Um, sort of like whoa Iceburn at mama's cafe let's go check it out and we show up and they've got an upright bass and uh drum you know drum set still still electric guitar um but they're dubbing themselves the dirge trio uh occasionally dirge quartet if their saxophonist is there um and they're playing i come to find out later jazz standards a lot of Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk, that kind of stuff. But I hadn't; it was all new to me at the time. And I was blown away. I thought, wow, this is really cool. I hadn't realized how, how cool jazz can be. Um, and that's, that's when I started buying some of it for myself and listening to it more.
0: Very nice. Dirge Trio, Mama's Cafe. Awesome.
3: Let's hear your pick. Okay. Uh, so Jordan, that SOB, stole, <laughs> stole my pick. <laughs> I, I was going to go with Duke Ellington
4: um what song were you gonna not that song i mean
3: it's it's hard it's like choosing a favorite Beatles song duke Mm ellington has got so many and such great variety and over so many decades um i i don't know i'll save it Mm -hmm. i'll save it that's the thing about jazz someone else might have performed the same song that's true that's true so we'll see if it pops up again um so let's uh let's go with another one of my favorites. We'll go with 1930s. I'm going Billie Holiday. Um, we need to get some some vocal representation and she is, she has got one of the greatest voices mm. of all time. Um, really unique voice, unique style of singing. Um, I know for for a while she was with Duke Ellington, I think. I think I remember reading that. Also with uh, Count Basie, mm-hmm. if, I, if I remember right.
0: There was a lot of collaboration, like everyone playing with everyone else.
3: Yeah. So she, start, she started professionally singing really young. I think she was 15 when she starts playing at, at live clubs and eventually gets recording contracts. Um, a lot of songs by her that, that I could choose. Um, the one that I listen to the most is solitude Hmm. which was written by Ellington I I think she recorded that one in the late 40s maybe 50s love that version of it so hauntingly beautiful um but maybe for its since that was more later in her career uh I want to go with this early one that made a big splash and was really controversial at the time uh strange fruit Hmm. Billie Holiday um she uh this is one that she really fought for because it was it had started out as a poem um let's see who uh who wrote this written by abel mirapol published 1937 she records it in 1939 and she had to she had to insist that she wanted to record this that it was an important thing to record. We'll just listen to it and let the the lyrics speak for themselves. So, Strange Fruit from Billie Holiday.
5: But
2: So I'm glad you picked this. So this is considered like one of the first kind of like some people I think consider this part of what opened up kind of the fight for the civil rights movement. It's it's yeah. very if you listen to the lyrics in context, it it's haunting. It, it's it's commentary on lynchings. Yeah. And it's um just a powerful powerful like Artifact, yeah, way beyond, way bigger than just the the song and its place in jazz history.
3: Yeah, haunting, horrifying. Um, I mean that that was one. I was you know slightly reticent to even include this as my picks because it is so hard to to listen to. It's like a it's like a take your shoes off, enter in with reverence kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, and it, not the. You know, like Schindler's List. You don't want to be rewatching that. Right, right, <laughs> lots right, of right. times. Um, but, but yeah, really important, really, really harrowing, um, and yet so. I don't know. It just it just cuts right to the the soul. So beautiful her voice and the the playing. So I I just loved the the power of it and the courage that she had to to perform total it.
0: total curl. i mean this she was ni- 1939 and this she is, was popular yeah this is and still she going on a hit for this like yeah. she i think uh, i mean i don't know the whole history but i'm pretty sure that she was um, blacklisted in a lot of ways you know it was kind of like a colin kaepernick thing in terms of like you know um, she's refusing to stop singing the song and people are trying to get her to stop and she kept doing it and I think it, and an, she paid it. That's an interesting
2: comparison. I like that. It's such a beautiful form of protest to me, though, that like there's plenty of commentary to be had on like the appropriate way to protest or, or to express rage. And this mm-hmm. is such a beautiful form, like a beautiful way of of expressing pain and giving commentary on, on something that was she was clearly outraged by. I love it. I'm I'm really glad you picked it. Yeah, that's a word that didn't come up in our three
0: words was expression. And in some ways, all art is maybe an expression of the artist or the, the times or or some kind of feelings. But I think jazz certainly at the time was like a new and more powerful way to express feelings and ideas, and especially from marginalized people. And, you know, um, yeah, very powerful and Billy Holiday is, I think, one of the, perf- the best examples of, like, the kind of expressiveness of jazz. All right. We've got three out of four picks of round number one.
1: Mr. Dr. Steve Ricks is up. <laughs> Sir Ricks a lot! Right. <laughs> um, so my gateway into jazz was, of course, the trombone. Uh, I started pre- playing trombone in elementary school. Uh, mainly because our band director, Miss Schertzinger, came around recruiting for the elementary school band and said, well, by the way, if anybody's willing to play trombone, we really need trombones. (laughs) So (laughs) I guess, you know, when you're a little kid at that age, you know, it's hard to reach out to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the sixth position, seventh position, which I wasn't a big kid, anyways. But anyway, so I being a helpful s- sort of person, I thought, okay, I'll 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 give it a shot, play trombone, and borrowed one from you know a neighbor who had this old piece of junk we could we could borrow. Before I ended up renting my own and getting my own. But anyway, I just kind of stuck with it, and it, my story is a little similar to Jordan's and everybody's that I. uh In junior high, we had what was called a jazz band, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we played. I mean, some of the arrangements were a little suspect, like, you know— playing Sonny and Cher, The Beat Goes On, <laughs> but the <laughs> Hal Leonard series, you know, whatever whatever it was. It was kind of like show tunes or just yeah, yeah. Weird, weird pop arrangements, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we had a rhythm section, and often, like you're saying, the blues scale, you know, or some we, we would do like F blues, B-flat blues. Mm-hmm. You pick those easy keys, you learn the blues scale, and you start to get a glimpse. Wow, they just keep playing these changes, and here's a scale where as long as I just play the notes in the scale, like kind of doesn't matter i mean yeah you know as as you evolve you you start to maybe get better or learn but Mm -hmm. so that that kind of put me on a path to really dig into jazz and so in high school that was a big part of my musical life and experience was playing in the high school jazz band going to you know festivals uh trying out for the all-state jazz band and then i i played a hugely formative experience was playing with a a kind of magnet jazz band that that was run by this guy named Grant Wolf who taught at Mesa Community College but he was just one of these You know, super amazing, dedicated teachers that just, I don't think we, I don't remember if we paid for it, and I don't know that he got any extra pay for it, but it was just kind of like this after school thing, and in addition to whatever he was teaching and doing at the community college, that he just was like, I want to do this. And so like the last year of my high school, when I did this band, he, he was kind of just committed to doing all this older repertoire, so we did all these Ellington tunes, like a Harlem Air Shaft and uh Coco and all all these just kind of quintessential older Ellington tunes. So as a high school kid to kind of get that experience and that glimpse into it it was it was great. Yeah. And then anyway. So I I love jazz and it still informs, you know. I mean I still listen to it a lot on a regular basis and it still informs the own, my own music, you know, what I what I try to write and and play sometimes though I don't do a lot in a kind of Standard uh, jazz direction. The only jazz big band arrangement I've ever uh, I've ever done is an arrangement of uh, Boogie Stop Shuffle. Oh, nice, Mingus, <laughs> nice, um, from Mingus, um. and. It's been, I have yet to hear it live. For some reason, the, the people that keep doing it, it's like, I, I can't be there or I'm not in town and they they never do it well enough or like it enough to record it or something. So I've never even heard so it. So
0: this is one that you arranged. I, well, I did hear and it when was first have, did.
1: People have done it. Yeah, it's around. been done this, only, as far as I know, it, like three times. <laughs> <So> <laughs> That's it's, awesome. Yeah. yeah, if you can find a bootleg version, they're pretty rare. Yeah. Um okay, blah blah blah. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. What am I going to pick? So tell me we've got the 50s are gone for the first the yeah. 20s are gone yeah, and 30s. And what did you 30s. pick? 30s. 30s. Okay. I'm going to my heart and my gut and whatever is going to pull me into the 40s to pick around midnight, Thelonious Monk. Mm. So, I mean, you know, Thelonious Monk an amazing, interesting, huge figure in jazz, pianist, composer, unique voice, you know, and 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 really unique playing, kind of quirky improvising style and, and personality that also sort of bleeds over, obviously, into the tunes he writes. That kind of have these quirky rhythms, strange dissonances and notes, and and in his own solos that he plays, I think you know, there's a certain space and. He he fits in that bebop era and in that style to a point, but but he's kind of uh, an iconoclast, you know. In Absolutely, a way. he's not he's not about you know how many notes can I play per second or how, you know trying to be flashy per se. It's very much about personality mm-hmm. so i i think the original tune th- this was originally written in 47 and i think if we can find the original uh recording of his quartet that'd be great i think there's a blue note you know best of monk or something that that has the uh the original yeah, monk. absolutely
0: belongs and he's one of my very favorites and i'm having a little bit of like uh, i should have i should have let brandon take duke ellington and i should have chose because I, uh, I don't know there's a monk song from the 60s that i was excited to but i'm glad you this is a great tune as well so well around it, midnight 1947 yeah,
1: it's, it's one of those standards that it, one of the sources i read said it's the most Covered yeah. jazz standard. I, I, don't, you know, can, can find, I don't know. You can. I don't that's true or quantifiable, but it's certainly I'm one sure, of those that just about every yeah. Miles major version, jazz person has Coltrane done a, has a version of it. And it's a such version. a. It's a beautiful, haunting tune. The chords are so kind of rich and and dark. And uh, yeah. Anyway. This gives a glimpse. I wonder if you could find the quartet version. This sounds like a solo it's version. A solo version. Yeah,
0: it's nice. You can hear his like his stabbing if you kind let... of style and all that
3: for sure. Uh, let's try this then.
0: Such a great, great tune. Great yeah, melody. I
3: don't know. What Thelonious seems really unique in his piano playing style. What uh, what stands out about him as a piano player?
2: I, I remember reading once something on his technique. He would he did a thing where he would play like two notes right, like he would kind of pivot from one note to the note right next to it, kind of. In his style and that chopping technique, in it—I think that made part of his sound. And he—it feels like he plays like hard and distinct.
0: Yeah, you watch when you watch him. It's like his hands. I was showing my son who's taking piano lessons. He's like, "Oh my gosh, my piano teacher would hate that." You know, <laughs> it's like the stabbing kind of thing. And he's—he's he's su- super eccentric. Like he would wear kind, the kind of, of thing weird the hats. Piano and teachers stuff. would hate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's almost like it sounds like someone who's making mistakes but make but owning them and making them beautiful and odd and like like there's a grittiness and a run an eccentricity but he was certainly technically very good but the technique wasn't as important as the kind of the personality or the like the the freshness or the bring your true self and uh i don't know if you have any other thoughts steve to that
1: no well you guys have yeah, you guys have hit it and covered it pretty well. I mean, that that word stabbing, and the the thing you're mentioning, Jason. Yeah, I think he playing seconds. You know, playing playing two notes that are right next to each other on the piano. And maybe even more sometimes, but clusters, you know, but just a couple notes. And maybe it's that search sonically for the blue note, you know, like if you're Mm -hmm. playing a sax or or even guitar or whatever, and you you can bend those notes, you can find those notes that are in between and kind of adjust the intonation to really get a rub. And on piano, you can't get that so much, right, because of just the set Tuning, but he would kind of go for that by hitting those two notes right next to each other to get that dissonance and that buzz. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just the the when you when I think of the stabbing, I just think it's like yeah, the, these sharp articulations and punched punched notes but with a but often with some space in between and he's really kind of exploring uh yeah the personality i mean any of these great artists or innovators i think it's true i mean it's what what do we love about them it's not that they can do something uh you know better or faster or greater than everybody else necess- necessarily it's that they're they're expressing this very unique Point of view or personality, mm-hmm. they're the most themselves yeah. more than anybody else, maybe. And well, and he certainly seems to be like it reminds that. You know me
3: of what uh, I don't know. Walter Murch says he's a he's an editor, film editor, uh, did Apocalypse Now and Godfather movies, and um, he uh, he is very eloquent in his uh, in his writing about it too. He so in his book about editing, he's kind of outlining the uh, the strategies or the reasons of why you might want to make an edit from one shot to another. And he kind of ranks them in order of importance. He says that <laughs> beginning filmmakers and a lot of people that are are just starting out or or maybe thinking about it after like an intro to film class or something, they assume that the most important part of editing is to maintain continuity. So that like you're creating this this perfect world and when you cut to a different shot you want everything to yeah. still be in the exact right place that it was in the previous shot mm-hmm. like the the dishes can't have moved on the table people can't have switched positions anything like, like that very
0: linearly thinking of yeah. time like yeah.
3: and you know when you're first starting editing that's something that you as the editor are going to notice you're like oh we can't use that shot because the person has moved their hair's different or something and he clarifies he says that of, of all the different way or reasons to edit that's the least important he says that the most important is the emotion of the edit you want to use the edit to create some kind of emotion Mm -hmm. what's the emotion of this scene and how can i use editing to build on that emotion
0: how do the two image combine to create the emotion rather than like oh this is what's supposed to go next yeah or is it more
3: emotional to not edit to let it to let it run or yeah and he's like watch watch any scorsese movie there's all kinds of continuity errors in there, if you pay attention. But you're not going to notice, because you're feeling the emotion. Right. And I, I think that ties in perfectly to Thelonious Monk here, and a lot of these other musicians. He's, he's not trying to play it perfectly, mm-hmm. but the emotions, the yeah. emotions there.
0: The, one thought is that uh, we mentioned, a few of us mentioned musicians as like, this is a musician's kind of type of music. And you know a lot of the musicians also were composers, even if they didn't start as composers, They started composing their own tunes, like Coltrane and Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk, one of the great composers. One of the things about Monk is his, you know, they call them heads, right? Like his heads, his melodies that would start, you know, you'd start with the head and then there'd be soloists. They're they're almost like, they sound like they don't, they don't, like, like no one else would come up with them. They're just weird and odd, but oddly perfect. It made me think of Devo a little bit, like the stuff they were doing was like, this is so weird, you know, but it 's like it 's them, you know, and I wish you know maybe we 'll play some more Thelonious monk in the in part two of this, but some of the heads of his stuff it's just so like doesn 't belong in the world, but it does, like you hear it, and you 're like, no one would well, come up with yeah, this it's, but it's Thelonious un- monk uniquely
3: Ooh. odd but still recognizable, yeah. yeah, like he has a lot of tunes that like you hear him and' you're like oh yeah, I recognize that one right you, yeah. you can still. Kind of hum along to it has a melody. Yep in its in its oddness.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think we have the starting point of a Rushmore of all time. Mm. We've got Thelonious Monk. We've got Devo. <laughs> and maybe uh, Tim and Eric although can we put them on the same and head the maybe maybe they Wait, could be on Dexies. top of each other oh, de- and I then Dexies. On. I thought it was blue there chair go, <laughs> blue chair go. Dexies. Uh, and checkmate can, we're done can yeah. we
0: can wrap it up yeah,
1: yeah. alright our okay.
0: first first round so we're done now <laughs> <holiday> <laughs> sorry First round is up. We're going into our second round. Wow. The fifties, twenties, thirties, forties, and fifties have One been taken. One hour per round. Here we so go. 60s 70s <laughs> so sixties and seventies. So hold on a
2: second. So you taken. and I are constricted to a decade, and sucks then to be you years, guys. Hey, You got
3: to choose first, pal. Joke's yeah, on you.
2: True. Based
1: on Jordan's yeah decade thing, then you guys get to knock out the rest that of the decades. Kind of so it? do I get an extra pick? Not, to take the 50s. It hasn't worked out the way I, I was hoping. I I was hoping
0: to pick last. It hasn't. It hasn't worked out the way I was hoping. Now, you get. We all get three picks. Um, so you don't have anything from the sixties. Some of or us 70s. are just more
2: constrained than others. Yeah, pretty much. Bull crap, man.
1: <laughs> That's fine. Well, break,
2: I'm taking. i No, I'm taking Giant Steps Take your by solo. John Coltrane. Do your ornament. Yes, Throw please. Coltrane yes. Coltrane on here. Giant Let's Steps. Do it. Yes. All right. So I've I've heard Giant Steps described as kind of this almost like this rite of passage in jazz music. Like when you get to the point that you can that you can jam along <laughs> to Giant Steps, you've kind of reached a, a level of musicianship that um, that is really good. And, and so it's a certain level. It's is, is almost this like
3: possible for laymen saxophonists to play. I did you reach this level, George? Can you well, play the, Giant you Steps?
0: Can, the the um, <laughs> The Melody is super easy, soloing, you know. Um, like John Coltrane is not yeah. super easy, right? <laughs> like, no, one, you know. <laughs> so, so to play the head is just da, na, 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 yeah. na. that's simple, but then soloing, you know, is a
3: whole different thing. Th- this is a face melter,
2: yeah, it's, it kind of is. So, it's weirdly avant garde, like it, like it, you could be describing like Eruption by Eddie Van Halen, but it doesn't come across like sometimes when you get into that really face melter stuff Mm -hmm. it's kind of like is this really good or is this just cool because it's technically hard Mm -hmm. but somehow this is so perfect it doesn't feel like it's just trying to be impressive and virtuosic like there's there's still melody and like a song to it that you can listen to effortlessly or you can totally geek out on and be like this is the most incredible solo I've ever heard. Yeah, and,
3: this feels like Jimi Hendrix.
2: Yeah, it, it's, just, it's almost otherworldly in, in that regard. And somehow to, to be able to straddle that line, I think, is really, really impressive.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think, so Coltrane is absolutely one of my favorites. The interesting thing is I somewhat share your feelings about the saxophone, even though I'm a saxophone player and I love the saxophone. And there was a part of me that I loved it, but I also knew it was in, in the zeitgeist. It was kind of cheesy, you know. And so, so um, I it's I have an interesting relationship there with it. Where, but 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 saxophone and jazz music in the fifties, sixties, like the hard bop, that stuff doesn't get old for me. It's more of like the eighties yeah. or just kind of cheesy stuff. Um, but even then, like for me, music and jazz music, I wasn't as like saxophone as everything as much as it was like. I want the music, like like, I want it to sound good, I want it to, you know, and um, I'm typically driven more towards the less is more, which Miles Davis and cool jazz and hard bop did some of that from bebop where it's like, okay, less notes. This song, there's certainly a lot of that kind of, it doesn't sound like a lot of the bebop from Charlie Parker, but it shares that kind of up tempo and a lot of notes. Coltrane solo, he didn't have a ton of spaces in his soloing, he would do kind of the wall of sound kind of thing but there was something it wasn't just the technique there was a lot of emotion a lot of expression that was you know like a spiritual spirituality for him you know he was very explicitly like being trying to be devotional in his music um and there's famously like a church of John Coltrane somewhere have you heard of this church where people go right. and like it's like a love supreme church and like you have like the pastor like plays the saxophone and there's like people are like he's like a saint figure for people sign me up yeah um So he definitely belongs in there. Like, I think it's a great tune. I think uh, you could choose several. You could choose A Love Supreme. You could choose stuff from Blue Blue Train. Train. You could choose stuff from Coltrane Jazz or from, you know, his later
2: work was more and more kind of avant-garde and modal. Um, Well, and then he has the the famous one with uh, Duke Ellington. Mm -hmm. Um, What was the name? It was the Ellington song. The In a Sentimental Mood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, who gets credit for that?
0: Um, Yeah, there's there's albums that are like Coltrane, Ellington, and it would be if we if one of us chose that. I think you'd have to just which one you chose. You know, if you chose sorry, Brandon,
1: but yeah. (laughs) Well, Ellington and Coltrane are are both (laughs) out of it.
0: Right, they're both out now. (laughs) That's that's why. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't. Any other thoughts about Coltrane from you guys
1: that you want to bring up? (laughs) Um, I mean, I've spent hours and hundreds of listens with this album and it's yeah. it's great and i i could do a pretty good job singing along with with his solo as uh-huh. as best i could and as but yeah can we hear some of that no I, I know that part <laughs> <laughs> pretty no, good okay maybe i'll take a step back
3: from that uh <laughs>
1: I would try.
3: Uh, we could we but, could have a let the music be your master challenge. Our listeners no. can come in, <laughs> see who can sing the best giant steps co- solo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. the uh, yeah.
1: No, I don't have much good to add, guys. Except that I just spent hours. With it. I love it. I love that album track for track. But I think this is the track to pick. Yeah. And even though you know, I might even like some of those modal tunes like india or alabama or whatever where it's just Mm -hmm. like there's a drone and he's on soprano or whatever and just going nuts you know because because it does he can just play whatever he Mm -hmm. wants there's such a like you suggested the changes in this in this tune are are just based on these these thirds and these chordal relationships that are, are challenging they, they, there aren't these common tones mm-hmm. like there are with some jazz changes. So it's like, there's no possible way to fake your way through these changes. Mm-hmm. There's no, and there's no one scale. Like there's no giant step scale. Like there's a blues scale where you can right. just say, okay, as long as you stick with these five notes, you're going to be okay. Nope. Not, not going to yeah. happen with this right. tune. And so to hear him at that speed, navigate those changes, Con, you know just nonstop at that breakneck tempo and the you know the piano player Tommy Flanagan i think gets gets some flack sometimes on this track cuz you can you can hear him you know he just kind of chills he's towards the end thing. of his <laughs> da, 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 da. You know? and i don't know that that's completely fair cuz i think he you know he's a great player he plays on a lot of with a lot of different people and can probably play some licks but i think you know not very many people can Compete with Coltrane when it comes to speed and virtuosity and it's there's just something that's that just blows you away about it
0: part of that what you're saying is part of what makes jazz such a musicians um, type of music because I don't think the the normal listener just listens to that and is thinking of that and is appreciating it in that way whereas someone who is studying jazz is that's part of it they're like appreciating wow like i can't believe how hard it is to play these changes and to solo to these changes whereas someone just like listening to it might not you know um so it's very much a musician's i think i think that's one of the you, you know jason you brought up the question what is the what are the obstacles to getting into jazz maybe we'll talk about that more later but i think part of it is you won't appreciate it that much as as much typically unless you've kind of been playing an instrument and trying to learn how to play jazz
2: which sounds so pretentious mm-hmm. to to say about something yeah. like i'm i'm saying it not as like a moral thing but just as a fact but, but i think that's one of the challenges yeah. and i think i i, I think uh, well we could probably address it in part two just kind of the reality that it is yeah there's some barrier to to entry to getting into jazz right.
0: and basically when jazz becomes more popular it's when you can dance to it right right and so you've got the big band stuff, when it's swing and you can dance to it, you don't need that kind of like, I need to be a musician to understand.
3: Or when someone like can this. bring the soprano sax to you and serenade you. That's right.
0: <laughs> yeah, when you can dance or swoon. Oh, my like, gosh. No, but with a ballad, if it's a romantic While thing, making you can contact. sing along with it. You guys, it was magical. <laughs> I was like... Kenny G is There's playing so to many me. many weird <laughs>
2: questions that I want to dig into about this, and we don't have time. It's nor so do weird. I think it's, it's the place. It's kind
0: of surreal. It's kind of like I'm telling the story. I'm like, did that happen? <laughs> I'm quite sure it did, but it was strange. All right, so we've got our first pick from the second round, and I'm very much um, and yours has to be the 70s. I'm very much yeah. regretting this, and so. I'm going to just, uh, just Oh, now he's going to change the you know, I rules might, I might oh, try okay. to break the rules Here's what I'm going to no. say no. Oh, no. I'll go with the 70s yes. no. I'll go with it But I'm going to say If anyone has strong feelings about the 70s And wants to take the 70s <laughs> I wouldn't mind giving that Who to them this guy? Well,
3: at this point We can oh. after you do So it doesn't matter
2: That's true You can
3: Yeah nice try
0: I'm just saying If anyone has strong feelings (laughs) If anyone who wants My crappy pick Yeah Here's the thing I just don't know I don't know It's not that there's No good things Like I honestly Like Bitches Brew Is the 70s But I honestly have not Are you kidding me Really done much with it At all I added it into I've listened to it Like once I'm not
2: a fusion guy. Ooh, well, I'm not a fusion guy. Don't mess this up, pal. Yeah. You got on the corner. You I'm got
0: not a Bitches fusion Brew. Guy. You got
2: Weather Report. Come on, do something good. See,
0: yeah. Weather
2: Report, I've never, you
0: know. Come on,
1: man, come on. So I'm
0: I'm, I'm regretting how this turned no. out, but um,
2: might be a lesson in there, Jordan. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna, you know, no, I'm gonna bitches Brew hey. is hey.
1: barely 70s. Jordan, anyway. yeah.
3: Jordan, don't worry about it. I got you. <laughs> oh, boy. Here <laughs> yeah, we go. You got I got you. I got you, right? I got your pick. I got your pick right here.
0: You want to take it then? And I'll I'll do a different decade? (laughs) No,
3: I just know what you're going to (laughs) pick. You don't? I know what you're going to pick, and here it is. Is it Chuck Mangione?
0: No. Nice, nice. (laughs) Is it 70s? Oh! Da-da-da-da! Da-da-da-da! (laughs) <laughs> you hear that wah guitar in the background? Oh, so good. The best ever... Um. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready with my pick.
3: Okay. Just I
0: thought your side pick note, was just the, made for The you. best ever uh, side strange reference, ongoing reference in a cartoon was King of the Hill with Chuck Mangione playing... <laughs> At the Mart, um like grand openings, and there's several episodes with Chuck Mangione, and also a,
3: a funeral, and a also funeral. the Star Spangled Banner, <laughs> and he
0: actually lends his voice to it. So yeah. it's it's fascinating. Okay, 1972. You might have heard it in the. Um, I'm not going with Miles with this. I'll he'll he'll show up, but I'm not gonna. I'll let someone else pick him for a different or the same decade. Well, is he ineligible because of kind of blue from the previous Hall no, of he, Fame? No, he's not just ineligible. Kind of just ineligible. kind of blue. Just is. kind of blue. Oh, because we've covered it. Yeah so um 1972 you might have heard it in the montage from earlier we're going jimmy smith root down live because i love kind of the groove stuff that comes out of this the sample from the beastie boys song jimmy smith and also i gotta redeem myself from the organ issue you know like i hold to my issue with organ and rock uh, but
1: Oregon, No circus organ allowed But
0: organ and jazz I've always loved I've always loved Whether it's Hammond Rhodes, I have a take on Jimmy Smith And the album bar, actually But let it play Because this
2: song's freaking cool
0: Root Down 1972
2: But you have to get the live version
0: Yep Here it is Yep Once you mm-hmm. get into the seventies, a lot of the jazz doesn't swing as much right like it's it's there's it's fusion it's funk, it's soulful um but but it's still jazz, you could argue, but some might argue you no know, kind of jazz kind of died, and people were still doing swing albums, but in terms of what was what the jazz musicians who were like in the zeitgeist still of were doing more stuff like this, kind of groove funk stuff or fusion more rock stuff um and of course. You know, there's others that came around, Chick Korea and, and uh, um, Keith Jarrett, and others that were doing kind of maybe more like I don't know if they call that post-bop or whatever. It's there's fusion, but there's also other stuff going on there. But um, I love that kind of soulful, bluesy groove um, kind of genre that came, you know, came out of there and, and flourished in the seventies. Funk 70s? was,
3: I mean, this, this feels like it could fit in our, our funk discussion it could. just as well. Yeah. Was funk it, born out of jazz?
0: Um, it was certainly influenced by. I, mean, I think
2: so. Like er, the early, the early JB stuff and, and the early funkadelic. Like those guys were trained in jazz. I
0: mean, blue. I think blues and like the pentatonic scale has like a h- strong heartbeat in jazz and in funk. Uh, and so there's there's a groove to this that that it doesn't swing, but it's 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 more. I don't know. What do you? What do they're, you think? They're, do
2: you- um, it's an awesome song. So my, so I'm just going to go on the record and say I think that's the the bad pick of the day. It, Jimmy Smith does not belong in the first round of the Jazz Hall of Fame, but I love this the song. Is the second round or second round, first <laughs> week. He, I, so I love the song. I, and the the tricky part with it is I have probably 20 Jimmy Smith records, and they're all. M- Mediocre at best. Mm-hmm. He was kind of fun. Like, he did an album with Wes Montgomery. Yeah. Him and Wes the are eating hot dogs the hot on dogs, the front yeah. cover together. Like, their arms are wrapped around each other. Yeah. They're eating hot dogs. Like, he's kind and of Jimmy fun. And Wes. He would do pop covers, jazz versions of pop covers. His best album by far is that one. And it's because it's live and they're doing funk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fully representative of his style. That song, however, does belong in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So, I, I, I give it that. Um, but it's, it's a weird, it's such a, that, that's a weird era of jazz. Seventies is
3: hard. I, I grant you that. It's that's, hard. that's probably the toughest pick. Um, but yeah, Jimmy. There's, there's tons of good stuff in the seventies though. I mean, it it's you know, there feels is. different. It feels different there from is. everything that came before. It started
2: to feel different. And then jazz also but started I, to turn into like the, the version that's probably the most annoying. <laughs>
1: I anyway, it's. Tell us how you really feel.
2: Yeah, so
0: seventies <laughs> is tough for me with jazz because I I just you know I don't really haven't really listened to hardly any seventies jazz music, but but that's that's the pick because that's partially because when we listened to the the montage, that was one of the songs where I was like, I want to hear more of that.
2: I was actually I was super pumped that you included yeah. it. It's yeah. such a, but it's-
0: I I hear your point too. Like, does Jimmy Smith himself belong in the Hall of Fame in the top twelve? I would say no, um, but but within the structure that that i laid yeah. out
2: i was like oh <laughs> shoot.
0: i could that's where i could have gone miles i would have just gone miles davis but i also felt kind of like a poser like picking bitches brew when i really haven't spent yeah, yeah, spent yeah. time with it no you you made the, you know made the right
2: you made the right pick for you it's um it's
3: and it's a great song i that's and an i like we got some organ in there
2: yeah yeah it that's an interesting Let's one playing
3: the hammond the B-5? what's it uh, called
2: b3? b3 i don't know if
0: that's hammond or like a, a
3: Draw I don't know what So that one inspired the
2: Beastie Boys a ton. That whole album—it's yeah. tough to find. Like, it's not a jazz album you hear people talk about a lot. You won't find it out in the mm-hmm. wild or reissued or right. anywhere. But it's a—it's a really great album. Like, yeah. I, if anybody, everybody should listen to that live album, Jimmy Smith Root Down Live. It's think, so freaking good. I think
0: that one of the interesting things that you know the tension between accessibility versus something that's more challenging—that might be more like whether it's pretentious or. It, elitist or m- only musicians will like it part of it i hadn't thought about it until we were talking is that like is it danceable or not you know there's that that aspect does it make you want to dance versus also is it kind of a slow ballad that's kind of
2: No, i feel bad i gotta accessible. apologize on air I, I should have called it out as the bad pick i've made the bad pick before we all have our well, regrets i like it i like yeah. it i love the song it might wait weirdly <laughs> We've all had our
1: Dexys, you know. Weirdly, weirdly, But the ironic thing is, <laughs> body blow. That's no. going to
2: be my favorite song in the Hall of Fame. That'll be <laughs> the one I like. That more. style of music more. Yes, than
0: jazz. absolutely.
2: Yeah. I freaking love that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's I don't. something
0: about the groove that's that's well, just nice. Like
3: 30s, you had swing music, mm-hmm. irresistibly danceable. Yep, seventies funk music. I think took took that place. Yeah, you know, di- different kind of vibe. But as far as like accessible dance music,
0: right? And and I don't think a lot of us. I don't think at least myself. I don't listen to big band music and think, oh my gosh, I want to dance to this. But my guess is people back then did. But for some reason, thirties and forties swing. I'm not like, oh, I want to boogie to this. Oh, you know, there's, big band there's a song. bunch of
3: those ones you put in the montage that's like that for me.
0: Yeah, I like them, but I don't. Yeah, it doesn't make me. I kind of have a bias against big band music for some reason. It was always the the fifties, the combo stuff. And I, w- I would bet
3: if it was live, like if we were there, yeah, as it's being played, because the, the recordings, better, it's definitely the recordings from the thirties are not representative of what it really sounded like, right? Because the technology just wasn't there, right. especially on the, the bass end. You there's you like basically anything. no kick drum right. in, it, in
1: there. No, true. All right I also well I also think yeah. real quick the to say the the question does funk come out of jazz or whatever mm-hmm. and what are the precedents or whatever um I was just thinking about like dixieland jazz or mm-hmm. traditional jazz where um you know, if the the more upbeat stuff, I mean, you can't help but smile. You can't help but feel like yeah, you yeah. you want to move. Maybe it's not it. Maybe it's not quite dancing in the same way, but um, and it also it has that multi layered. I mean, I'd call it contrapuntal, and so it's yeah. a, it's a, it's different than funk. The funk layers, but it's still that kind of like here's a group of a bunch of different people, each one's doing something a little different and fitting in the holes in different ways, mm-hmm. but it all kind of fits together into this really really cool thing yeah and so i think there's there's kind of a precedent there in in dixieland too yeah. i'm glad you mentioned dixieland
3: thinking. steve because oh, i'm gonna baby. move on with my second pick hear it. nice i'm going with uh i mean a shame this guy wasn't taken in in the first round but i'll blame uh, jordan's structure mm-hmm. on that because <laughs> yeah, yeah. this guy i mean talk about mount rushmore louis armstrong and his orchestra again any number of dozens of songs you could choose from him um my personal favorite, though, I'm going with Stardust. Uh, don't think he wrote the tune. I think this was already a standard even by the time he, he recorded it. And it's been since then covered by tons of people. Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. Among <laughs> others. Yeah. Great song. Um, here we get to hear his trumpet and his vocals. Uh, what a performer. What an artist. Stardust by Louis Armstrong.
4: I wonder why I spend such lonely night Oh, baby, lonely night Dreaming of a
5: song, melody, memory And I'm once again with
4: you When our love was new Oh, man, each gets an inspiration Now that, baby, you
5: know, long ago
4: Oh, beside a garden wall When stars are bright And you are in them all The night and gaze tells his fairy tale Of paradise Where dream and
3: Oh, man. That, that's a Goosebump. <laughs> Goosebump song for me. Uh, there's a, a few of those notes when it hits like that trio of of high notes on his trumpet, that's just yeah, G- give me tingles huh. uh, and then when his when his voice first comes in, you know transitions to the lets the clarinet take the solo, probably so he can catch his breath, and then you just hear him all right
2: <laughs> how, how, how do you describe his
3: voice I don't know, perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean this this is uh this is comfort music for me, comfort food um it's. There's just such a such a joy of life to it that uh, it does it for me.
2: It Almost sounds like a Muppet. It's really good <laughs> yeah. though. Yeah,
0: it's amazing. He's so he's I think he's a huge looming figure in jazz, and it's a, it's kind of a shame that so I don't know if it's a shame, but so many people know him for the most kind of popular, accessible kind of thing, like the "It's a Wonderful World" song, which is a good song, but it's so like he's so much bigger than that as what, ubiquitous it, as that song is he's so
2: i don't know enough was his playing style
0: influential oh yeah absolutely so expressive so like his soloing was so tasteful when you know when sometimes you look back and listen you know the word the name's the word square like as a you know pejorative term like oh that person's square that don't play so square like you listen to some of the old stuff and it's like oh that sounds square like you know like some of the 20s stuff but you listen to him and he had like a he was his style his phrasing his kind of whether you call it swing or whatever the stu- the way he was soloing always sounded like he just had he had the style better than anyone else
2: cuz i think maybe because of the the wonderful world song i think sometimes he almost gets more Recognized for his for his unique singing, singing yeah. than he does his, his playing. soloing
0: was amazing. His What's the lineage? Who came
2: history. after him? Like who who was he, who kind of took it to the next after level him after would him? Be,
0: um, well, there's Dizzy Gillespie in tr- terms of trumpet. It would be yeah. Dizzy Gillespie. In That's
3: the,
2: what I was wondering. So
0: if you're making someone, like a, there's probably someone in between them too. Who came?
3: Who came before him? Though is the question. He seems to be like Bix, the
0: Bix Beiderbecke. Was that before Louis Armstrong? Steve, do you know Big Spiderbeck? Do you know if he was before? I I would have to
2: look it up. Yeah. Just like
1: <laughs> I, sp- I think around the same time. I may, yeah. may, so you know, so in
2: that regard, he's yeah. he's really like or, a, a or pioneer. He's a pioneer. Oh yeah, but he for, for, for playing style. Time. Yeah.
3: Um, I mean, he feels to me like the the film equivalent would be like Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. That it, like you think yeah. of who who revolutionized the the film industry. And for, the, like, for a layperson, if they try and think of someone that came before Charlie Chaplin, it's like, yeah. I don't know. I would have had to have studied film to know anyone before. Imagine
0: it this way. Like, so in the hip-hop world, you have MCs and you have producers. And usually you're not great at both, right? So in jazz, you have, like, you have the, the leader of the band. Like, at least in the 20s, 30s, 40s, you have the, like, the, the leader of the band who's got to be charismatic. He's got to be like an MC. He might be a musician. and might be good as well. But like he might be better as like an arranger and a leader. He maybe sings, maybe not. But Louis Armstrong was amazing at all of that. You know, mm-hmm. being the front man, being the charismatic guy, being an amazing soloist, and also, you know, um, I think a a great singer as well, in his own way, in his own kind of stylistic way.
3: Um He's yeah. an inspiration. <laughs> yeah, it's great.
0: He's he's amazing. Um Hey, sorry
1: yeah. I couldn't be more Informative there, yeah. or responsive? I really let you down. That's all right. I just to, want to. I want to bring us a,
3: back up with your next yeah, poem.
1: Yeah. Uh, Oh, I will. It will transcend everything. But I want to. Br- I just want to give a shout out to my colleague Brian Harker in the BYU School of Music, who um, literally wrote the book on Louis Armstrong, or one of the books, I should say. But he's got a great. He, he's a you know he's a a writer, musicologist, former. A trumpet player himself, Brian Harker, uh and uh has a book called Louis Armstrong's Hot Five and Hot Seven Recordings that it's a little technical. Uh so if you don't have any musical background or knowledge it might be kinda hard to get through. But um if if you have some knowledge of music and theory and that sort of thing, it's uh it's a you know definitive read or at least a really in-depth dive into you know the influences on lewis armstrong and his also kind of his legacy like how influential he is and what what he accomplished in those early recordings in in many different areas in terms of being influential yeah mm-hmm. he's he's a he's a luminary for sure all right well last I, pick of the second round i can't believe that it got to me and technically with. All of the guidelines in place, Miles Davis has not yet been chosen. That's well, true. well, and so uh, of all the Miles stuff, I love, which is a lot, including, like I said, even his cover of Human Nature. I <laughs> listen to it every day, all day, <laughs> not all day, maybe, but I, you know. I, I love it all, just about it. Do Bob? Come on, come on! Me and the chief are gonna blow. But anyway, I'll listen to that. I like it. Don't tell me it's crap. It's not. It's Miles Davis. He's he's searching. He's he's moving on. Um, but my number one desert <laughs> desert island album uh, is Miles Davis, Gil Evans, Porgy and Bess. Mm. Uh, And I think that is another one of those Magic
3: 1959 Mm. albums. Did they have have two great albums in 1959? But for
1: me... uh, He might have had more than two. For (laughs) me, the reason this sort of rises up there is... um, It's kind of got everything that I love about jazz and about music in it. It's got these amazing... Colorful compositions, uh, track for track, you know. Um, it's got these these interesting arrangements and in colors through Gil Evans writing for Jazz Orchestra. And it really is a jazz orchestra. Uh, other than bass, I don't think there's any strings, but it's a really expanded big band. So you've got clarinets and flutes and you've got horn in addition to, in other words, French horn in addition mm-hmm. to to trombones and trumpets. So it's a really rich varied sound then you've got that tight rhythm section with philly joe jones on drums which oh man his drumming on this album is is incredible and my favorite track i gotta say is gone and so if we could if we could play that one and it's then it's got improvisation it's got miles solos you know And, Mm -hmm. and in addition to the to the bass and and drums cooking away while he's soloing so this track just, gone. Just re- in, in
3: 1959, Miles Davis, uh, the sextet, releases Kind of Blue. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, oh, that's 59, 59, too. 59, yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, then uh, Porgy and Bess. Yeah. And then uh, the quintet, working with the Miles Davis quintet.
0: And that was recorded earlier. Oh, was but it? released in yeah, 59. I mean...
3: So, I guess I guess it's easy when you just make it up on the spot and you just record for one day.
1: Well, well <laughs> yeah, these guys worked hard. I mean, these guys were working. They were yeah. Well, and the thing that I think is kind of interesting about an album like Poor Game Bess in general is I, I'm I'm fascinated by things that have are, are loaded and that have these layers and lineages and and so you've got okay, these are arrangements of songs from the opera by George Gershwin. The opera being about You know, the African experience in America written by this white guy immigrant, uh, but who's channeling influences from jazz and blues. But then it's sort of grabbed again and brought back into the jazz world and kind of reformed as as a purely instrumental uh, jazz album. But this track Gone, I just love, and, and I really, I mean, I know we're, we're dragging on here, but I really hope we can listen to this track long enough to hear this drum break by Philly Joe Jones, which launches Miles' solo, mm. and, and then I'll, I'll, if we could just listen, and then I'll give you the high sign when, when you're okay to turn it off. Yeah. So that's almost like a Philly Joe Jones feature, really. You've got this this tight... Da-da-da. Well, it's not always so tight. It's so funny to hear those bass clarinets. It, 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 I, I figure with this expanded orchestra, they kind of just grabbed who they could, and so it's like mostly experienced jazz players, but maybe a few folks from the orchestra playing the clarinet parts yeah. that are that are getting a little thrown off by all the syncopation. And so, as that as that lick keeps going and gets closer to Miles' of solo, there's that one. You know, it's like the <laughs> The clarinets are just about an eighth note or so off of everybody else or whatever.
2: But. I wish we had video of that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing, Steve. Steve's, Steve's yeah. Geti- boop, boop, boop. gesticulations. Yeah, sorry. I'll uh, I'll try to record a little video, video for the What is it about that um,
2: soundtrack that makes it so... I mean, it's been, it's been recorded like as an album by countless artists. That particular soundtrack, Poor Game Best, what is it about it that makes it so... Um.
1: I guess appealing for jazz musicians to take a stab at it well uh, I mean, summertime is the you know the song the 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 number one track probably from it that's covered over and over, and that's just uh i don't know, I think it's just one of those quintessential standard songs that that people love. they love the melody and it's it's uh captures something so so it, it sedu- it's, sedu- it's, seduces all sorts of artists Ger- vocalists and gershwin, right yeah george gershwin so somehow he had
2: created but, something that was so it, it's just weirdly broadly appealing there's so many people that have
1: taken a, a shot at at that something from that soundtrack right right and especially that song but for me this album is just it's just the the, the arrangements and colors and sounds happening in the so this is your desert band. I- desert island album this This, for some reason, this is my number one. I mean, if I had to pick a number one, this would be it because I can listen to this over and over, mm. and I have, and I continue to, and I just never get tired of it, never get tired of it this is
0: the the orchestration kind of i mean for a for a composer, I think this kind of this album with him and Gil Evans there's a lot of
1: yeah, and just the balance between yeah. the solo voice and mm-hmm. the the ensemble yeah. the two d you know right, and just that that blend. Uh, of yeah the give and take and and yeah. there's
2: there's really
0: like that in in jazz you, i i th- I think about like you 've got the big band in terms of the f- structure of the amount of people in the instrumentation. you just boil it down to two you 've got like the big band and then you 've got the combo or the quartet, you know the quintet um but then there's a few things like this where you have kind of a little big band, and the instrumentation's very different, French horn and stuff but this didn't catch on as like a uh, like a main thing so it kind of stayed as like this kind of almost innovative reach out here um and and I think there's some other people that have done some interesting things with but but not that much really with like french horns and and stuff like that
1: yeah i mean and I don't naturally, like, if, when I think of jazz and when I go to listen to jazz, mm-hmm. it's mostly more in the combo, small, yeah. small group setting, you know. Right. And that, that's, what I, that's what I love the most, generally. But this, this is just one outlier where I just love, I love it. I love all the, the way all the elements come together, my yeah. dear Watson.
0: Excellent. So we've just finished two rounds and we're having, uh, I just got word that we've got a challenge. Uh, we've got a challenge. Do we have drone. a live? Do we have a There's live audience? No. Um, my anxiety since my last pick has been raising no, as no, I no, realized. No, no, no. I was just going to apologize. I feel no, no, awful. No. no, Jason. It's not. It's not what you said. I realized I only have three picks, and I just used one of my picks. And I was writing down the other people that need to be picked, and I was. But I think I can, I can save you. No, no, I want. <laughs> I want to challenge. I am officially challenging. Uh oh, Jimmy Smith's route down as with entrance. I'm saying. <laughs> I'm casting a vote, or I'm wanting to, to, cha- to make wanting it an official challenge. to have one more challenge. Pick for yourself. Oh, That's no. true. <laughs> that is true. He found a way to do it. That's true. I, didn't, I wasn't thinking that initially. But we're going to put it to a vote. It's not just for me I to I love the side. way you put that. There's
1: been a challenge. There's it's been like mistakes official were made. You know?
0: <laughs> There's been an official challenge. Uh, oh, no. I feel awful. It's Jimmy Smith, I, it really doesn't have to do with what you said. I, for, I don't. The, for the record. Don't flatter yourself. No, no, I don't leave as much sway
2: to what you're saying. For the record, my presentation was awful, as is, is often the case. I, I, <laughs> I did not express myself the, the way a, no, a, a mature grown-up listen, should. Listen, it
0: was as I started writing down Charlie Parker, Stan Getz, Charles Mingus. <laughs> don't tell... Don't I started know, writing so- down these names, and there I was like, go, I go. have freaking one pick, and I know that you guys are going to let me down on the last round, and so <laughs> okay. I've got a freaking... I've got a right, challenge. so what's
2: your suggestion?
0: We're going to vote. And if three, if two of you vote that Jamie Smith's root down stays... And two of us vote that he goes, and if I have then whichever vote I'm in because I'm the host w- wins the day. If three of you vote that Jimmy Smith stays, then he stays. What would
2: you like to happen?
0: I want us to have a vote, and and we'll go from there. That's the that's the. That's but if, the if he goes, this, then what?
1: Then you, you get to pick again. Does then that open a up a seventy slot basically? That or? opens up let's, a seventy slot. Let's
0: take a
3: let's take a vote. Let's
0: take a vote. Okay, who wants Jimmy Smith to stay root down to stay in the Jazz <laughs> Hall of Fame for? Let the music be your master.
1: I I kind. Um, I'm <laughs> fine with that. Ah, oh boy. You know what? You know what? I want it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Actually, you know here's, what? Here's why. I, I owe Jordan. I owe <laughs> Jordan this
3: because I started this. I'm voting with Jordan. <laughs> yes. This this feels like yes. it, it was. You know, you're you're in the band. It's your moment to solo. You didn't quite nail the solo exactly how you wanted. Is you just got to live with it. It's part of jazz. Said, you can't go back and redo the I'm solo. I'm voting for Jordan. Where, <laughs> I, I'm rescinding my vote. I'm voting for Jordan. Jazz
0: is a conversation. It's a democracy. Yeah, but two of us voted to Marcus. keep it
3: so it stays. But he gets you know, extra vote power. I get
0: I, my vote's oh, one point one, so, he, nah, it's so it's out. So it's out. All right. Okay. So this we're starting. We're starting round take I, two.
3: I, I guess even Miles Davis did take two of some recordings. That's true. Oh, Picking my second
0: pick. Yeah, but the second pick oh, to boy. replace Jimmy Smith, and we're going to go with because he hasn't been picked yet, and he needs to be. <laughs> Jimmy, picked. Jimmy, I miss you. We're going to go with Charlie Parker. Ooh, yeah. bird. He hasn't been picked. He needs to be in there. He
1: needs to be in there. That's for
0: and sure. we're going to go with
2: anthropology. You know what? Charlie nice Parker? hearing you say it. This is the right decision. It feels right. This does. It does. And I just noticed noticed you're wearing a hat that says jazz. It does. Yeah, that's right. I see what you did there.
0: not a great recording of course but um a couple reasons I chose this one is what, de- what when was that my guess is that was 40s mid 40s but i don't know um Be- bebop was early to mid 40s but kind of especially late late 40s um but the the big thing about this is again going back to this dialectic between what's accessible to the masses and what's popular versus what's challenging what's maybe at times underground or, like, the cool kids are into. So Charlie Park, my take on what I've always, like, heard historically, and, and it fits, um, that bebop arose primarily from Charlie Parker and Art Tatum and some other musicians who didn't like that all the white kids kind of took over jazz, and it became this thing that it was like, you know, this kind of... Um,
3: they saw that movie Vanilla swing thing. kids that came out yeah
0: well it became this like the v- kind of thing that was watered down and like whether you, they called it cultural appropriation back there or what but they they said we're gonna play stuff that that only we can get and so they started playing really fast to rhythm changes so the the chord changes to the song what which song rhythm is it what's the song called yeah it's i called got rhythm change I got rhythm. I got rhythm yeah 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 and so, that's and there was other songs like Cherokee is like one a famous one where people it's kind of, that's when you were th- saying about giant steps, that's the one I usually think of is the song called Cherokee where people are yeah. like, can you play Cherokee in all 12 keys, like at face melting speed. Right. So Brandon, you mentioned face melting. Really, the Charlie Parker era of bebop was the face-melting era of jazz.
2: This is helpful. He's weirdly a blind spot for me. He's yeah. somebody I know I'm supposed to know about, and I've never found my way in, into his it's stuff. It's not really
0: easy to listen to. Is it's it, like, what's his yeah. sweet
2: spot? 40s?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that's when... 40s, yeah. And there was a big... The scene was like, what, the 52nd Street in, in Harlem. There were certain clubs where people would go to listen to Charlie Parker's nicknames bird right like and he's a trumpet player you know he's a saxophone alto saxophone um but it was like really fast and it's this is bebop like bebop came like kind of surpassed swing and big band music big band music was still going on but it was more again mainstream this was like this was the what the the artists and musicians liked this was the cool stuff and then all the stuff we're talking about that we love in the 50s and like that 59 era all those people came up and Charlie Parker was their leader in a sense and they all had to learn how to play bebop they all had to mm-hmm. learn how to play super fast they all had to do that and they came out of that but then they were in the 50s kind of like well we got to keep going forward where do we go and so they started you know slowing down a little bit and saying can we play something can we express something with fewer notes but still keep the kind of the cool edge to it but do something different add some more blues some more gospel some more r&b into it
3: um, yeah, listen to this. I can I can see why this would be alienating. Sure, like it, it feels chaotic.
0: Right, it's there's fast. so much
3: going on. You can't distinguish the notes really. It's just yeah.
0: Um,
3: very, yeah. but yeah, it seems like the height of the maybe not the height. I mean, you get more avant garde stuff later, but as far as like ver- virtuostic, yeah, virtuostic performance, yeah. like mind blowing for musicians to listen to this and think whoa how can they do this but the general public listen wow, this is yeah crazy is, is it
0: accurate steve to say that there was this racial element of or at least the popular element of, of we don't want this to be so accessible and popular wasn't that a part of bebop
1: i i can't really speak to it i i think so uh but but i don't know i can't i, I don't know enough about it or i can't speak to the the Um, inspiration for it or or the Mm -hmm. motivation I guess Um, so I I think you could very well be right but I I think you know like any creative musician you know we mentioned Hendrix we've mentioned others it's like you know there's maybe a compulsion also just internally to say
4: Show I want to explore. What's different? Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I want to do something different. Yeah, right,
1: exactly. New. I wanna I wanna do something new. I wanna push things ahead. Yeah. I wanna push things forward. And they're in this environment with the the big bands. And so whether it's whether it's racial or social mm-hmm. or it's just artistic, like they're saying, yeah. you know, I'm sick of playing, you know, second alto in the big band and playing these kind of cheesy tunes that I don't right. I don't wanna play anymore. I wanna express myself, I wanna I wanna push myself.
3: Even even though the know. instrumentation's the same as what came before, it it feels maybe like the equivalent of of punk rock and metal mm-hmm. was to rock music. Like yeah, you know, I was you, saying, peep up is the th- the, the thrash Pink metal. It's like the, we're yeah. gonna
0: go all the way.
3: Yeah, this this is like Slayer. <laughs> yeah, mixed with some Ingwie Malmstein <laughs> solos yeah. in there. It's kind of concentrated up tempo jazz.
2: Yeah, Charlie Parker, the Steve Vai of jazz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: No, it's not music. Like I, when I was taking lessons and from Andy War, from Swim, Herschel Swim stuff, like they were recommending. You know, some of my saxophone teachers. Oh, check out Charlie Parker. Check out Cannonball Adderley. I remember getting a Charlie Parker album and putting it on, and I was just like, he could play fast, but I, I didn't want to listen to it. You know what right. I mean? Uh, but it's definitely like if you're a musician, if you're a saxophonist, when you're playing, like it's kind of the. They, at least at BYU, when I was there, it was they were steering you to like. You got to learn how to play bebop. You got to learn how to play changes Mm. fast. Because once you can do that, then you can strip back and you can play other stuff. Uh, But it's super hard to get that down. You
1: know, it is. Yeah, I mean, in my experience, at least in the educational context, it tends to be kind of like the common practice of jazz, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like you know the classical era for classical musicians of you know Mozart, Beethoven, others of that. It's like if you're a pianist. And you want to be a classical performer? Well, you're going to have to learn to play Beethoven piano sonatas. Right. Now you might you might go earlier than that, you might go later than that, etc. But that's kind of like the the meat and potatoes of what you have to be able to do. And I think for jazz, most jazz players, it's bebop. Yeah, it's like can, can you woodshed your scales and your arpeggios in all twelve keys and do your two five ones and whatever and I think I still feel a little bit of pain cuz I never, you know, I never quite got there. Of course, I chose <laughs> I chose an axe that already has some uh, challenges. Right, like, right. I, I'm probably never going to get to the speed of uh Charlie Parker or John Coltrane. It's harder it, to move
0: it, that it, your wrist yeah. as fast as you can move <laughs> multiple fingers. I'm right? making
1: excuses for myself maybe. There mm. are some trombonists that get get there or get close, but I mean it's like Blah, blah, blah. Okay,
0: so round two is now officially over. <laughs> Jimmy Smith has been ousted <laughs> in, a demo- in a democratic fashion. In an and unexpected like, moment. In any like jazz song, there's structure, but there's also freedom and twists and turns, and rules are broken. We're starting our last rules and final round broken. with Jason Johnson. Just so you know, right now, we've got Art Blakey, a drummer. We've got Duke Ellington, a pianist, Billy Holiday vocalist, Thelonious Monk, a pianist. Then we've got Coltrane and... Charlie Parker <laughs> as saxophonist and Louis Armstrong and Miles Davis as trumpeters. We're, we're doing pretty good in terms of the, the... and I feel really good about our Hall of Fame list, there's these uh, eight. Yeah, so I'm, I'm
2: really torn. I, my favorite... <clears throat> I've got my favorite music, jazz musician for personal reasons that I kind of want to pick from, but I, I have a feeling Jordan may pick him if I don't. I'm hoping he does. You guys, come on. This is your Hall of Fame. But That's then true. I have another picks. one that I think I, want, I really want to make sure gets in there. Let's talk this more is, picks.
0: It's, this is why it makes it <laughs> tough.
1: Yeah. More music. Shut up and play your guitar. All right. Follow your heart. He's putting space in there like. Like a thelonious hey, know Sel- solo.
2: Selfishly, I'm gonna pick the one. I- I'm gonna. Go for it. I'm gonna take Do Brandon's advice. Make it my pick, and then yeah. I can come back to the other one in a deep cuts or narrow misses. Or well, you can challenge it. it. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Charles Mingus. Charles Mingus. Good. He's he's my personal favorite um, jazz thinking. musician. He's the one. He's the most exciting to me for some reason when I talk about goosebumps moments. When I listen to him, I, I get goosebumps more regularly in his songs. There's something frenetic, and there's something exciting, and there's something like really strong emotionally in in his music. I think he's very artistic. A lot of his albums have um, are built around like a, a theme or a narrative or a story that he's telling. And um, just does some some incredible stuff. One of my personal favorites. I might surprise you with this one. I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna have you play from the '50s. Um, Pithocamperpus erectus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's great. It's the self-titled from uh, from this this album. Kind of a, a just a really cool buildup in it. Go ahead and play it. This one's fascinating. He he would. Um, I, I my understanding is he was kind of a, a notoriously um, demanding band leader. I think there's a famous story of him like punching a bandmate at some point. He was a bass player and a composer. The some of the interesting notes on this album. Um, it, this was allegedly the first album that he um, he taught the arrangements to his musicians by ear. Um, rather than handing them like a a printed arrangement of it. And so he was kind of experimenting with that model of of teaching the composition to his band. And then the kind of the narrative for this album and this song in particular. So he would write these jazz albums are the best. If you ever come across like an original jazz album from the 50s or 60s, a lot of times there'll they'll be a gatefold album or the whole back cover will have like an entire article written about the musicians mm-hmm. and about the recording. They took a lot of pride in like providing context for what they're doing. And in this one, the liner notes, here's the description that Mingus wrote in the liner notes for this song. It's a 10 minute, tone poem and it depicts the rise of man from his hominid roots to an eventual downfall <laughs> due to his own failure to realize the inevitable emancipation of those he sought to enslave and his greed in attempting to stand on a false security like that's what he that's was awesome. communicating in this composition and it's really cool when you th- when you listen to it and read the notes and try to imagine what he's, what he's trying to communicate through it. And that's very typical, Mingus. There's just something about his stuff that's so exciting to me. He's got a really broad um, library of music, and it's something about it just really, really um, kind of excites and interests me. The one, the album you referenced earlier, Mingus Autumn, uh, I think that's a lot of people consider that kind of his masterpiece it's an incredible album um could have picked one of four or five songs from there but this is the one personally that is just super exciting to me and uh that's my pick great pick
0: i'm glad you picked it yeah he's he's there's certain figures that are like they kind of epitomize jazz you know i guess that's what that's the hall of fame maybe that's the rushmore but mingus is one of those for me you know um He's the, just he's so his album
2: The Black Saint and the Sinner Lady mm-hmm. it's a a gatefold album you open it up and there's two two full record size pages of notes and in that one what he did is he had he was seeing a psychologist at the time and he played the album for a psychologist and he asked <laughs> if, if he would write the liner notes so the liner notes on the inside of The Black Saint and the Sinner Lady <laughs> are are written by his psychologist at the time which is again like i think such a cool insight into his vulnerability Mm -hmm. and into how he was reconciling all this emotion and putting it into his music and really kind of blending his art and his life there's he's just a fascinating fascinating figure to me and his music's incredible
0: one of the things we've touched on it a little bit but not that much is just how political a lot of stuff was even if people weren't necessarily trying to be political, but just being a black person who was performing and had some level of fame and success and was touring around at different parts of the country,
2: including in the South. and Which this music predominantly was. Right.
0: right. And, and there was so uh, Monk, we've picked Monk, Miles Davis. A lot of these people, they, there's stories that are very well chronicled about. I mean, there's certainly tons of things that happened to them that were you know very overtly racist and discriminatory. But like with Monk, he had, his, I think, his cabaret card taken for several years because of like some really bogus misdemeanor offense. So he couldn't even play in clubs for I don't know how many years it was. But that was like during his prime, he couldn't go and play. Miles Davis, there's an incident of him being attacked by police outside of the club where he was the headliner. And he's out taking a break, and he gets hit in the head by a billy club by a cop. Because, like, he gave him attitude, like, or something to call, like, hey, why are you doing standing up there? And he says something about, like, hey, that's my name on the thing. Like, he's out there smoking for a minute, and the guy hits him in the head, and, you know, he's arrested. Uh, uh, Mingus has a song of, what is it, Fables of Fabus, mm-hmm. right? That's, like, a direct kind of backlash towards the, I think it was the governor of, or the mayor of Little Rock, when, when segregation was being enforced federally, and then the... um uh the mayor the governor whoever it was came out and said no we're not gonna we're not gonna follow that and then you know lyndon johnson eisenhower whoever had to like send in the national guard to escort people to campus and stuff and anyway yeah mingus wrote this song and the, the lyrics in it were overtly like making fun of this guy and initially columbia records wouldn't like wouldn't produce it with the lyrics like hmm. they'd let you let him have the title but we're not going to have the lyrics were like about how this guy's ridiculous this white supremacist politician it was like that was too controversial and then of course billy holiday but there's so this that's one of the cool things about looking back into jazz and the history is because the so, the conflicts and the the social tensions they're still alive today but they were so um so there as part of the music and part of what was going on all right great pick uh that's our first bass player We've got three left for our Hall of Fame. I'm going to go with, this is probably my favorite saxophonist of all time. Um, part of me is like, I should like Coltrane the best, but his, his kind of opposite, in a way, I, like, I love Coltrane, but his opposite in terms of less notes, less abstract, more lyrical, more melodic, but still they're both amazingly amazing uh, players and very both had a lot of credibility, but Stan Getz... Um, He had a long. People know him from his bossa nova songs, from like the the you know, girl from Ipanema and all that kind of stuff. But he really had a long career, starting in I think Woody Herman's band in like the forties, and then he he did bebop, you know, in the in that time, and then he was a big part of the cool jazz scene that you know Miles and uh, Chet Baker and Jerry Mulligan were part of. Um, But Stan Getz had had a long career. I read his autobiography, or maybe it was no, it was his biography. In high school. I mean, that's how, you know, there was like a three year period of time where I was like on course to become a major jazz nerd. um, And that's when I read his biography uh, that talked about his drug problems and one time hiding drugs in his butt cheeks from his (laughs) then girlfriend who was really keeping him on the straight and narrow, but... He was hiding him in his butt cheeks. Uh, anyway,
1: very interesting Inside story. Inside his butt cheeks? I remember as like
0: a 17-year-old reading that and thinking, how did, it, like, <laughs> did this Did he, sur- he had a surgical
1: like, pocket. I it, didn't really understand created. addiction
0: at that time and thought, like, <laughs> wow, something. this guy no, was really troubled. But yeah. addiction, addiction and drugs were a huge part of jazz for, for many of the people we've mentioned today, sadly. Uh, but we're going to go with Stan Getz in 1964 did an album that was one of his favorites with a composer from Europe named Eddie... Sauter or something S-A-U-T-E-R um, It's called Focus Is the album So it's, it's jazz But it's orchestrated There's it's, it's all It's kind of classical Jazz music But it's There's improvisation There's interesting Melodies and harmonies There's a song From the album Focus um, Called Her It's really beautiful Interesting Different um, Stan Getz's sound Is unique Most people will notice it If they've heard Heard songs by him so Stan gets her from
5: 1964.
3: <laughs> oh, so smooth. This is
2: a gift that keeps on giving.
3: There we go. I can, I can see what you're talking about. Lyrical. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: I always think a Stan gets on tenor, though, it seems yeah, a little, it's a a little, little high, than usual. But it's wow, he can oh, really get what job. technique. What I'll technique? take it. I'll take it. I know Brandon's
0: <laughs> simmering over there. He really didn't want me to challenge my, my pick there. He's, he's upset. <laughs> oh, that, I love how that worked out. I was not planning on that to happen, but it did.
3: That might be even better than Kenny G.
0: I think it might. I think it might
1: be. <laughs>
0: so that's you know oh, Stan gets trans like uh, what's the word transversed many styles. He 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 did a lot of stuff very well. Um, and this is one of his favorite albums, and it was one of my favorite as well when I I I had probably more albums of his than anyone else's. Um, yeah, yeah. I,
2: I know him most from the Samba stuff he did with yeah. um, Joe. Uh, Jobim. Jobim. Yeah. Job. Jal yeah. Giberto. yeah. yeah. It, but uh he's got a cool sound. He has yeah. a really
1: cool tone to his yeah, his sex. Yeah, he does. That's and that's something I think we can say about jazz, whether it's vocalists or the instrumentalist, right? That it's, it's a it's a key part of their developing their craft as their unique sound a lot, mm-hmm. you know? And you you it gets it's developed such that you know you can hear like two notes and you know oh that's Stan Getz that's so and so and it's just it's it's just much a part of yeah. their music as anything.
0: Yeah, Coltrane and Getz are kind of. I was reading actually last night about Hank Mobley, another tenor sax great and probably one of the most underrated saxophonists in jazz. But it was under interesting. It was someone was quoted as saying he's the middleweight champion. Of the saxophone,
2: Getz or Mobley?
0: Mobley, and they were saying he's the middleweight, and they were saying Coltrane and Getz are the champions on these two extreme sides:
2: Coltrane like, heavyweight, Gets, lightweight, right? Mobley, and then middleweight. Mobley
0: middleweight. In terms of just like, is your style kind of more romantic and more airy on the Getz version versus Coltrane's got his kind of sometimes aggressive, but but just just kind of more up in front of your yeah. face, like uh blistering and hank mobley's got kind of right in that middle he was more in that uh i think he was part of the the jazz messengers hank mobley i think he came out yeah of that. i think anyway I think. uh that's my last pick we've got two left for the hall of fame let's move it on to mr arnold
3: oh boy still so many that belong in the hall of fame there's a lot still so many um, What's coming? We don't next? have any guitarists in here next? yet. Oh, let's get a okay. guitarist. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's get maybe the greatest guitarist of all time.
1: Oh snap!
3: Maybe certainly the best two-fingered guitarist of all time, or was he three? I don't know. I think he lost two of his fingers in a some kind of explosion. Talking about Django Reinhardt.
4: Yeah. Whoa! Is this baby. also
3: our first non-American? Nice. Um, I don't. Know. I believe he was raised in France. I don't know if he's French by uh, by origin or family or whatever. But Django Reinhardt, uh, my feeling is he was big in the twenties, thirties, um, and he, uh, yeah, he played guitar. Um, I first heard about him from uh, the Woody Allen movie, Sweet and Low Down. Sweet and Low Down, yeah. Mm. And Funny. this this song is featured in that. Not not this recording, but uh I'm gonna go with I'll See You in My Dreams from Django Reinhardt. the sound of his playing he's got a great tone he's 20s 30s yeah i mean it it sounds similar to like the louis armstrong like that kind of small band Mm dixieland-esque but um and i don't know if he was performing here or if it was in france and europe or i I don't know know that much about it
0: i know 20s and 30s and he's there's we have uh He's got great stuff, and it, a lot of times he was playing with the violinist too, where he did Stephen some stuff. Yeah, with with him. Um, very his fun. Uh,
3: his way of soloing, he's um, got this uh, this cool ability to. It still feels melodic in a way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like he, he's still incorporating the the song into the solo, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I. Tend, tend to like in in guitar soloists like across the board like Jimmy Page does that a lot mm-hmm. like his best solos feel like still part of the extensions song extensions of just, the melody yeah. kind of yeah. yeah
0: well excellent we've got Django we've got one last pick in our no pressure first Steve. twelve
2: Hall of Fame don't mess this up dude Rixalot
1: is up I'm feeling pretty good about my pick but uh, it's it's going to be the one that i think pushes pushes the boundaries the most. Mm. <laughs> okay. But uh Celine Dion, like you know uh mm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but which, track? Really, but which track? <laughs> she's really under appreciated for what she did for jazz. No. What I did for jazz. Um <laughs> the so what the person I'm going to pick is Anthony Braxton. Mm. Jordan probably knows Anthony Braxton. I wonder if you guys know Anthony Braxton. Do you, Jason? I know to- I know Tony Braxton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not sure if there's any relation. You might know, know or have heard Tiondi Braxton who was a member of the band Battles well, for their first album, a super interesting kind of neo-prog kind of band. Hmm. Uh but I think he was only with them for like one one album. I, I think you guys would like it quite a bit and he's kind of he's a composer in his own right. But Anthony Braxton, hmm. saxophonist, uh multi, uh you know, woodwindist and composer, era uh still living still, and hmm. active, but uh started in the 60s. Hmm. And was part of this organization AACM. In Chicago, and so this is, this is kind of this is to represent the kind of um, avant-garde jazz, uh, creative musicians, uh, creative music, and and what came out of what was I think kind of known as free jazz or whatever, right? So in in uh, Jordan's opening montage, we heard a little glimpse of "Lonely Woman," that Ornette Coleman song, that kind of quintessential. Uh, the shape of jazz to come i think is that album and and so kind of the directions that some of those uh Ornette Coleman and others are going in this is this is picked up by this group AACM uh the association for the advancement of creative musicians uh and be, be started in Chicago in 1965 by pianist Muhal Richard Abrams. I don't know if that name rings a bell and and others. And then other people came through it. Lots of people came through it. Uh, and But Anthony Braxton is probably one of the more better-known ones and, and certainly who's had a lot of influence, impact, and staying power. And just a super interesting musician. So it's an interesting rabbit hole to go down if you want to start searching his music, looking into it um and really trying to push the boundaries and i think it's it m- maybe think of what what you're going to hear in a minute in light of like charlie parker you know and then coltrane and just kind of imagine if we kind of kept with that trajectory of the saxophone as this you know sound producing machine mm-hmm. what can it do where can it go so um the track i want to suggest we play and that i'm nominating to the um to the Hall of Fame, is to composer John Cage. It comes from a 1969 album called For Alto. And it's mostly, I think, unaccompanied alto saxophone. And what what you're going to hear is, uh, I'm, my guess is that he developed it, you know, over the course of time and and practicing and improvising, but it's essentially it's an improvisation, you know, so it's a recording of it, a free improvisation. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you just sort of think about, you know, lots of things that were in the air in the 20, later 20th century, the idea that, OK, what can I explore on in this instrument? You know, yeah, I mean, traditionally we just play notes and rhythms. But w- what other sounds can this instrument make that could be expressive and interesting? And uh, and then I also okay I'm almost done talking. The, the I actually used a clip of his solo improv music to share with my current composition students because we were, they were writing pieces for solo viola, and I was talking with them about this concept of uh, compound melody. Right, the idea that even if you're just playing a single note solo instrument, you can still imply two or more voices of music going on at the same time, right? By jumping registers and by, and by doing even in some cases doing other things like dynamics or timbre or that kind of thing to imply that there are more than just one layer of music going, right? So even though you can only do one sound or one note at a time, you could do things like play some high notes up here and jump down and then jump back up. And, uh, I mean, traditional examples of this are like, you know, Bach solo cello suites or whatever. It's just a single instrument playing, but they leap around. Anyway. Anyway.
3: Did they use this song in that uh, Key and Peele skit? <laughs> the, so, the trumpeter, the trumpeter challenge. Oh yeah.
2: So here's my real question.
3: How do I know if that's good? <laughs> um, it's like modern art. It's like, like yeah. the, <laughs> my kid could paint that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Well,
0: I love this pick. I'll say for you, Steve. First of all, Steve, some of our listeners might know this. Some might not know. But your career is as a contemporary music composer and a teacher, right? And so this it makes sense to me to for you to be like, well, if I'm going to bring in any of that music into any of these episodes, it's harder to do that in rock and roll, to bring some contemporary composition, right, avant-garde stuff in. I mean, there's some of it. But with jazz, there's the whole free jazz and where things went, Um to the to like the logical conclusion of where do you go with freedom? You're going to go to these more and more abstract and contemporary and, and different. Like, well, we haven't explored. I know I've some of the stuff I've heard of this guy. He's like it's like the noise of the pads closing or the noise of him blowing through his instrument. There's not even notes. There's breath. Isn't that him? Have I heard him
1: doing that? Yeah, um, he certainly does stuff like that. And there's a whole, you know, I mean this this whole. Did that song follow a time register? Like a time signature? Um, I, I I doubt it. I don't think so. Um,
2: so it's
3: almost formless. One oh seven over twenty three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Count it so out. It's there. so.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't think there's a recognizable pulse for sure. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it was conceived of. Um. But by re- being written out. Uh. Which is true of a lot of jazz, right? Traditionally. Or it just depends, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's obviously pushing in a direction of not being confined to a set uh, melody or a set changes. So it's almost changes. more of a performance than a song. Well, yeah, I think song probably doesn't fit very well to describe it, for sure. Um I do think in the course of listening to it a few times so far in my life and hearing it again my guess is that the more if you guys would listen to it you certain um you know certain patterns or structures would emerge you know so even though at first you are you know it's it just kind of hits you this onslaught of notes but there are certain things that you probably even could remember the huh? that low note, and I didn't. I haven't done the research yet to know if that's actually the lowest note on the alto. My mm-hmm. guess is maybe it is, or at least it's a comfortable note that he, he wants land, to keep he landing on, on. Yeah. and so. Even in the, the opening seconds, as this crazy barrage is hitting, there's this little refrain of the bump, you know, that kind of thing. So it starts to create this little punctuation, you know, and then he, you, we could hear we got to that spot where he went into those kind of really squeak, squeak tones for a bit. So did it have a key that it's in? Mm-mm. I don't think so. I mean, I think he's just kind of open to play any any note, any of the chromatic notes he can play. And, and I say, and, and even chromatic is expanded, like I said, because he's including, I think, other sounds. And mm-hmm. he's playing it with a really harsh tone at times. Later on in that track, he, he uses some what are called multiphonics, where you can use, you know, these alternate fingerings and play more than one note at a time. And a I assume he's accent. highly skilled, like in a classical way as well. Yeah, I don't know exactly what his training is, but I do know that he's like he's got some recordings of playing like Donnelly, Lee, you know, this quintessential, you know, Charlie Parker tune or whatever, mm-hmm. and so he can play changes and he can he can do that, but he's he's doing something different here, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's exploring. So just in to a make sure way. we're clear, because <laughs> I'm am okay with this. Yeah. Ah. Not a, oh, he's on the verge
2: of a challenge. What's n- going to happen? Not a song, not in a key, and no yeah, time no signature. Time. Yeah, what is it?
1: Well, it's free jazz. Well, we free. we see this
3: this same pattern in probably all the creative arts at, at the moment, in like in the modern era, like you think of modern visual art. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one hand, um, the respectable ones, the the academic things that get in museums and that kind of thing, uh, it's a lot of it just feels random. Like to the, if you don't, if you haven't studied it yourself, Mm -hmm. it looks like paint splashed probably is paint splashed on there or Andy Warhol type stuff of taking images from other things um, where they've, you know, they more look down on trying to represent a human figure or even a recognizable kind of thing. Um, So you have that on the one end. And then on the other hand, you have Thomas Kincaid, painter of light in (laughs) every mall of America. Mm-hmm. So, which is the, oh, the more popular, accessible thing—the mall so here, versus
0: museum? So thing. here, that's with, an interesting spectrum. With music,
3: like jazz, jazz, and probably like a contemporary composer as well. It's like more focusing on avoiding melody, doing doing more.
2: It, and I can f- see, I can stuff. see why this and is the eventual the other hand, you have Kenny destination Chi. of jazz. And I'm obviously playing devil's advocate a little bit, but I'm also. I, I am trying to like figure out like how, well, what to make of it. How to identify it. It's probably it. not the
0: destination. It's a, it's a branch.
2: A destination. Because, because
0: it's not like all the jazz players nowadays right. are doing this. But it, to me, it makes sense. I think Brandon's analogy in saying, oh, it's like modern art is true. Like, you know, uh, my, I have a brother-in-law, um, Steve, you know him, Pete, Peter Everett, who's, a, who's a, a painting teacher at BYU. And he did his graduate school in New York. And when he went, when he was at BYU in his undergrad, his BFA, or whatever, some of his professors thought he was too abstract. You know, become more like you got to say more that people can connect with. When he went to New York to graduate school, they were like, we don't want to see anything representation. You know, some of the professors there were saying this is too representational, like too much symbols that we can recognize. We need more abstraction. And he, you know, he was kind of in in that middle middle ground, but in art. Um, in visual art, it's you know contemporary art or art that doesn't have a ready meaning to you and you can't connect with it on a oh that's supposed to mean this has been accepted a lot more I think than music it's by the masses like it's people are like are more willing to look at a, a like a Jackson Pollock and put that in their you know well you can look at it for five
3: seconds and move on but music takes time
0: <laughs> right with music I don't think a lot of people are going to listen
2: to this you know on their drive to work like. So that was my next question like what where do
1: you listen to it? Well, I did listen to it on a bike ride the other day, but uh that's me.
5: <laughs> right, <laughs> oh, there you go. That's there is but, an audience, but I also
1: but will st- but I also will, you know, will will listen to you know, Braxton stuff for music like this just you know, sitting sitting at home or sitting sitting in my office to try to absorb it, try no. to just take it in, see see what shapes emerge and that kind of thing and but you know, I'm I'm maybe more open than some it to, to like, sort of see. So hey, where's this going to take it, me? It or what's it going to do? It seems like it, it would do? be and, great as like, inspir- like a, a
2: thing you would go to to seek inspiration. Like as you're trying to kind of create your own art to to I guess experience that. That it seems like it would be helpful. Yeah, so, sir, I mean,
3: that since the 1960s, he's released more than 100 albums.
1: Yeah, he's so a that, very that'd
3: be interesting to explore. I'm guessing for, for sure some variety.
1: I'll, I may or may not email you guys a PDF that has some of his scores. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to go on the record. Uh, we'll, we don't know if that will happen. <laughs> but if I were to show you some scores, or if you were to even just do a Google Google search and say Anthony Braxton scores, meaning written music, yeah. you, you'd see some really interesting things, some interesting shapes. And, and they probably would match... As you want, might imagine, what the, your I reaction want you to, to that? sound. I want you to transcribe that song we listened to. Well, some you know, some do some do some. It's, in, it's, kind it's of interesting
0: see. that uh, so I mean it is unique. You're saying you listen to it, and this is like you're not like the average consumer of music. I mean you're a you're a composer of contemporary music, and I think the so so on one hand it might be like oh, a lot of the the audience for this are other composers or people who are really into avant garde stuff. And that makes sense. And it's going to be a smaller, but it's still, it's interesting that in Provo, Utah, we've had a, you know, kind of a little scene here between Steve and another friend, Christian Asplund, who are both professors at BYU. But like, I've, I've gone to some of you guys, quite a few of you guys' performances where he's doing his violin thing. You've got your laptop and like knobs and buttons, but you've also got your trombone. He's got the viola with the piano, and you're doing totally free stuff, and it's interesting to be there live, and it is it is more of, like, shapes and colors coming at you. So you can't listen to – you can't find an anchor as much. So it's more challenging, but it is uh, – I think it's an experience that – and it's not like I'm the only one sitting in the audience, right? There's about 20 of us <laughs> when I'm at these things. If we're lucky, or, I mean, that's <laughs> – <yeah.
5: laughs>
1: 10 to, no, ten to no. 30. Yeah, I mean, so – when you when brandon was kind of talking about this uh wint marcel's definition of jazz being a conversation or whatever yeah. and us imagining how that might play out in different jazz be- groups or con- contexts you know mm-hmm. i just think this is another one i mean th- the track i asked brandon to play wasn't really because it's just a solo performance. So that that's maybe exposing or exploring other things. But yeah, the kind of thing that Jordan's talking about, I mean, I really owe a lot to my friend and and colleague Christian Asplund and he's he's completely immersed in this, you know, this avant-garde jazz and creative music and other things that it's called. And I just think yeah, it's it's a direction that improvisation has gone and a lot of the the forerunners or whatever have been uh these Uh, musicians coming out of free jazz in the 60s and beyond but that just keep you know pushing the envelope or exploring and there is a whole sort of free improvisation scene where people will get together and improvise and make music and there really isn't any in, in a certain sense there aren't you know, rules. Uh, it, uh, one general way to describe it would be like non-idiomatic improvisation. And so the, idea, the, the only sound is kind of like the main through point, you know, and I'm listening. So, so, you know, people going into that context, they might be improvising in a group of four different people. Everyone plays different instruments. There's really no conversation about what are we going to do? Or how do we start? Somebody just simply starts making sound and maybe, it sounds like a bebop lick or maybe it's more like I'm just blowing air through my horn or maybe it involves electronics. And then you just simply are responding to what you hear, contributing to it. A lot of times it's based on what I would call timbre. So, you know, you're listening to what types of sound is this? So this, is it high or low? Is it, is it kind of breathy and airy or is it more concrete? And, and then maybe you try to match that, Sort of sound and blend with it and create a texture, but then other times you might try to act against it, you know, and so just push things in a new direction or whatever. But um, anyway, yeah, Anthony Braxton is 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 I think representative of that whole world, and we, you know, maybe Ornette Coleman would have been a more solid uh, earlier uh, Hall of Fame pick. A, a more a more uh, well-known, at least, certainly. Right,
0: well-known. I like this, though, because it takes it kind of further where that was going. Right. Okay, here's, it, it, where, here's where that, that took us, yep. or is taking us Yeah, that's one,
1: one direction it was going, yeah. and, and a representative. And yeah, so anyway. Nice. All right. I, I encourage any of our listeners our, and, and the current podcast members to kind of do a deep dive with Anthony Braxton. There's some interesting stuff there. Yeah. So All right. to- um, Tony Braxton and you might you might Aunt hear it the next Tony time you go to Starbucks yeah. you might hear it
0: featured they like to play really challenging music at Starbucks and, you know.
1: No um, maybe they do at the one near BYU now that has one cuz they're like we don't want the the BYU kids yeah, in here maybe. so let's Oh they want them. They want the, B- the, room. They want the no, BYU they want kids. <laughs> they want em. All they want right them. that
0: that's it for our first um Part one of our jazz episode. Yeah, Um, we tried to keep it short and sweet for everybody. Yeah, yeah. nice and short. (laughs) We've got 12 uh, 12
2: inductees. In fairness, of of all the types of music we've covered, this has the longest. Yeah. history that was oh, the yeah. most
3: ridiculous one to try and do and to one try and do
2: yes i think for what we
0: we're covering i think we did all right especially making up for the jimmy smith debacle i think the vote uh, no no i'm, I'm so glad you awful. voted with me it, i kind of want to revise my scorpions pick i would agree with, you, would metal, agree with anyway. feeling okay. awful if you had voted against it and then so i went for the vote and then got shot down but i'm so glad I, you, <laughs> you democracy won out uh, <laughs> and and we got Charlie Parker in there, which was what needed to happen. Yeah, All right, did, so it we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. And thank you for being with us here on "Let the Music Be Your Master." Listen to some jazz and keep it cool. <laughs>